0: remember back to Barry because
1: the
2: nackerel, run my very there'll be a 15 yard penalty on the kickoff, but the play is not reviewable.
0: Welcome to another edition of the Roar of the Alliance UK podcast, episode 117, baby gun. As and want to to kind of sing along with it. That was horrible. I can't, I can't hold rhythm or tune, and I can't <laughs> dance either,
2: so... Oh, I'm not on yeah. strike anymore, you did it, so yeah, I'm here. <laughs> uh, Good. You've uh, got a reward for doing that.
0: Oh, I don't know about that, I'll get lambasted by everyone else and deservedly. So, hello to everyone, if you're listening on the order, if you're watching along live on YouTube or Twitch, thank you so much for joining us, I'm Matthew Turner, alongside co-host Brian McFasby, Anthony Fitzpatrick, how are you doing boys? Doing good, thank
2: you.
3: Yeah, oh, good, thanks.
0: Good, good, good. We will have Tom hopefully joining us later as well in about an hour's time when we're doing our linebacker breakdown. He's had a bit of an emergency at work, so fingers crossed he's back. Okay, just a bit of housekeeping to start. Don't forget our Discord channel. It is active and getting more active, more people joining all the time. We've got links up for it, but I'll probably tweet another one out shortly. Um, You can DM us for that as well if you like. College Football Podcast is coming up again this week, boys, I think.
2: Yeah, we'll be back on Wednesday. What are we talking about this week? Uh, We're looking through the Pro Day scene at the moment. Obviously, in the middle of that, all the quarterbacks coming up this week. So, we'll be looking again, see where the Lions have been, who they might be looking at, and just doing some general draft chatter, I think.
0: Yeah, if you want to know anything about the Pro Day scene, you'll want to follow the Royal of the Lions Twitter account. and is tweeting out, All of the pro days that are happening each and every day. We found out from Eric that a couple of days ago the Lions were at Coastal having a look at uh, Isaiah Likely, I believe. Yeah, Yeah. so news coming out all the time about that. Please don't forget to like and sub to each individual episode, to the podcast, to rate and review and all that fun stuff you can do. We really, really appreciate that. Uh, Lions Nation Unite. You want to make sure you download that app and get all of the best content about the Lions on the internet. You can find it all there, including us and our Twitch affiliate status. If you do, subscribe to Amazon Prime and you're not using your free sub. Don't worry about doing a paid for one We don't want your money. But if you can give us Bezos' money, we're more than welcome to that. So please, please do that if you can. Right. We are going through the news in the last seven days. And obviously with free agency, that has been quite a lot. Also going to have a look at a bit around the NFL and around the division news too. And then we're moving on to dive into the linebacker position. So just to let you know, that's inside linebackers, outside linebackers in 4-3 or 3-4 formations. And you've got tweener guys I kind of missed out when we were doing our edge look. And we're going to include them here too. So we've got 13 guys to profile today for that. We might talk around some of the other guys too. We've got a lot to get through. So let's get straight down to it with the news. And coming out today, we've heard that the Lions are hosting defensive lineman Arden Key for a free agency visit today. He had flamed out badly in his first three years in the league at the Raiders. He was actually let go during his rookie contract, um, but San Francisco picked him up. He got six and a half sacks in that, you know, under that fantastic defensive team. And boys... It appears to be, although that we do have a lot of depth at the defensive line, that kind of third spot, you know, rotational piece with moving a bit more to um, 4-3, is up for grabs, really, with no one particularly quality at that sort of DL3 spot. And he could really be the missing piece there and free up that as a need in the draft.
2: Yeah, I mean... You know, you need rotational pieces on the edge. You need guys you can bring in. And with Romeo not guaranteed to be fit for the start of next season, Julian is inconsistent at best at the moment. You know, we're going to need more guys in there to come in, take some snaps and make some good plays on a game. And, you know, I think crucially for us, this is a guy who is is on the up. We've had a lot of guys who've come here on the decline in past years, whereas he, like you said, he's had a few bad years, but last year he's found himself in a good situation. He's cashed in, you know, he's done really well. You know, we want these guys who are getting better and are going to come here and do even better for us. So, you know, I I like this. I like that we're hosting him at least. Hopefully, you know, we're going to give him a good workout. And if he does come here and we do get the requisite value for it, it's going to be critical for us on the D-line going forward. You would still assume we're going to add an edge in the draft, maybe position changes on where we get it. But, you know, another talented rookie coming in, him, Harris, the Aquara brothers, you suddenly then got a very competitive edge room, which can have an effect on a game. So I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, hopefully he does well and hopefully we we get a shot at him.
3: Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't dislike it. We know Austin Bryant, for me, he ain't it. He's never been it. He's not good enough to be that D-line three. Like I say, even if you had Perks last year, I've never rated him. So I'm not convinced to make the roster. So competition behind the uh, the Ox, Charles Harris as well. Then we still have maybe, say, Hector Strong, if we bring any of them, I'll keep him on the practice squad. I'm just we're wary of money. If we're gonna offer him a deal, I want it to be very small, and he needs to understand he is rotational. I don't want to, I don't want to overpay on someone that will only come in on a limited snap counts. Which I feel like coming off a six and a half sack year, he's going to be wanting more than we can pay. So I'd rather. I hope he doesn't try hold us to ransom because, as you say, all it does is maybe change the order of what we pick because we'll still end up picking an edge. So I prefer to spend the money that we have now on a safety, but. If he impresses enough and uh, it works for both parties, then I'll give him a small prove-it deal. Because it's it's his only real year of production. So it can't come in with huge demands.
0: Yeah, I'm right with you, Ryan. It's one of those that... It could really work out well for us, but it's kind of to be seen. And we've got other needs right now, more pressing needs. You know, this could make it less of a need in the draft, but it isn't going to take it off the table entirely. And we've only got limited space and other bigger needs, I would say. So... Cautious about this one. Um, The Lions revealed their full coaching roster for this year. There's been three new hires on the sort of minor end of the scale. Senior Offensive Assistant John Morton, Defensive Line Assistant Cameron Davis, and Defensive Quality Control Coach Wayne Blair were all added to the official roster there. So those three guys, welcome to you, to the Pride. Hope that you do well here and you start on this conveyor belt and hopefully see you in a coordinated position soon. The Lions have made some re-signings this week, or signings this week, depending on who you are. Saint tight end Garrett Griffin has come in on an undisclosed deal, but it's thought to be around the vet minimum, which is just over a million dollars. David Blau has been re-signed since we last spoke with you. The cause of that signed a one-year $1.35 million deal. Wide receivers, Khalif Raymond re-signed. It's undisclosed, but it's thought to be a two-year, up to $9.5 million deal. The up to is key there. We've seen other deals actually work in terms of guaranteed money about half that. So we shall see what that turns out to be. DJ Chark, one year, $10 million deal cap hits of 4 and $6 million in a void year in year two. That means he won't play for the Lions, but there will be a $6 million cap. hit. Obviously, if he does well, that $6 million might be absorbed into a new deal. And defensive end Charles Harris surprisingly re-signed on a two-year, thirteen million dollar deal, cap hits of three, eight, and then two million dollar in a third void year on an outgoing basis. Jalen Rees Mabin moved on to the Houston Texans, two years for up to seven and a half million dollars. Um lots going on there, boys. Charles Harris was surprised. I think we might have touched on that last week. Did it happen while we were recording? I can't quite remember yet, so yeah. Um, And Chark, I think, was the same actually, but it wasn't on my notes from last time. Raymond was a real surprise to me. I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't expecting him to return.
2: Like you said there, the the devil's in the detail. You know, this, this could be a good deal if the guaranteed is low and the incentives are high, it could be a bad deal if we've guaranteed a bit too much there for him, especially when you measure it against Josh Reynolds' contract because he came in and you know, undoubtedly had more of an effect on the offense last year. So you would hope that it's less than that based on the production that you got from him. Um, obviously, yeah. Devils into detail with him, you just you just you just don't really know. But apart from that, all the other resigns made. Harris has come back, etc. These are players who've earned deals here. So and they played well last year amongst a sea of you know, mediocrity in some areas. But you know, we've kept the right players. I think that's what I'm saying on that.
3: Uh, I hated that. I don't see why we brought back all these quarterbacks, even at any cost. I have no interest in Ningham Blau. Like I said, I don't see what he offers over a project or Montez at 1.35 million. Like, he stands there and he holds a clipboard, so not keen on that one. I, I, I don't see much value in it. Raymond, uh, I'd have been fine letting him go. Like I say, Cephas is coming back now. Like I say, we're going to draft a receiver, maybe two. Like I say, we brought back Charks so or even at any cost, up to nine, if we've given four or five guaranteed, which we could have done things too much for the production he offers and the minuscule role I expect him to play next year so uh, I'm not I'm a bit iffy on some of these
0: I do think that with these right receivers being signed the expectation of them being some being drafted that it feels like and rightfully so that they're giving up on the Trinity Benson experiment because I think that there's going to be a receiver which we all expect at the moment to be on the roster come cut down to 53 who won't be on there right now you know I think Cephas is in trouble. Like, he's someone who's going to be on that uh, wide receiver five, six, seven area and will probably carry 5 or 6. Like, he's someone that I really want to be on this team that's produced every time it has been asked of him, really, got injured, unfortunately, and that might be him done because are you really re-signing Raymond to this deal and then not keeping him over Cephas? It
2: depends what the, you know... The, the details in the, you know, the devil's in the detail, as you say, there may be an easy out on him there. It feels like they're loading up for competition in camp. Because, like you say, Benson and Cephas, you know, these are, they, they're going to have to play their hearts out in camp to get in. But so are the first receivers. I don't, if you look at this and you say, oh, I've got a wide receiver one, two, three, four, et cetera. Looking at the 2023 season, none of that is set. No one's like earned a position. Every position is up for grabs. So I, I fully expect them to get more guys in and say, right, opportunities there, go and battle out for it. And I feel like that's what this might be with Raymond as well. You know, probably a deal where we've got an easy out if he doesn't perform. And if one of the lesser guys, you know, one of the more underrated guys comes in, does well, takes his place, then so be it.
0: Indeed. Just want to say, what up, though, to everyone in the live chats. Lots of activity on there at the moment. Steve, our very own, is in the Twitch chat alongside Dan and Derek. Um, a few others in there, too. Thank you so much, you guys. And then Kurt Steele, representing the Lions Nation, is in here, too. Thank you so much for joining us alongside Joey and Blue and Silver and Carlson Wood and Dan McGuinness, Lions Rumble 81 Blue and Silver, Ken Stouda and Chrome and the rest of you guys. Really appreciate you being here. Got any questions, give us a comment in there and we will get to it as soon as we can. Uh, Appreciate you guys. Um, Let's move it on to the rest of the division now. And I just wanted to start with this. The Minnesota Vikings have signed no one. It's a beautiful thing. I looked up their notable signings, and it's literally just re-signed Cousins and a couple of other things that no one cares about. The rest of the division is active. The Vikings, because they're re-signing Cousins, presumably they want to hang on to some sort of ability to make the playoffs. You know, they're aiming for 6th or 7th seed at this point. I expected them to be doing a little bit of business, boys. Do you think the Vikings are just completely hamstrung at this point.
3: Well, Zadarius Smith is is having a visit as we speak. I think he'll sign that. I think he'll stay in the NFC North because the future about Danielle Hunter, like say, in the next year or two is clouded. I think he'll want out eventually. So I expect Smith to not leave about an offer on the table. So, But no, they are. Like say, that cap hit there. Kirk is huge. So there are limitations, I think, what they can do. They just managed to keep Thielen on a restructured deal. So they must have asked him to take a little bit of a friendlier option. So, no, they, they do look like they're in trouble. Like, say, they're not able to make many splash moves. do not like they're going to replace those, uh, those veterans that they've lost, like, say, because they've had the likes of, say, the Bar, Kendricks. Like, they've had that key linebacker call for a number of years now, but that defense is slowly crumbling with age and cap restrictions.
2: Oh I don't know. They just paid Daniel Hunter 18 million yesterday. Mm. I don't know whether they've got the cap to pay Zadarius as well. He was on what 16 and a half at Green Bay. So? Oh no, sorry. He was on about 27. Something stupid like that. He was on a, he was on an elite wage there. I don't know if they're going to be able to be able to pay both of them at the same time, but I mean, you know, look. Kirk gets his money, never takes a friendly deal for the team, never. I know they say it's a, a restructure this year, but you could have done a lot more to help them out and not be so stubborn. You know, he's not going to be remembered for his his own personal exploits in the game, so he should go out and try and win a Super Bowl with them, and he's, he's, really, he's really done some trouble with them there, but I mean, you know, like you say, outside of that, it's been quite quiet. There's been a hemorrhaging of talent from this division. Obviously, the main one being the, the bad man from Green Bay, who's no longer going to cook any of our corners anymore, <laughs> which is an absolute delight, by the way.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, so getting on to the Packers. So, their notable signings or not signings so far. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers did get reassigned, but the details were released three years, $151 million. I believe year two, his cap hit is $58 million. Something to that effect. In year three, it's about 70
3: <laughs> yeah, It's lower now. They backdated that deal so badly.
0: <laughs> yeah. He
2: said yeah. If, if he retires in two years, they've got a $72 million cap hit that year. Then there's not a thing they can do about it.
0: It's horrific the other moves they've made Alan Lazard got a second round tender the wide receiver linebacker Devondre Campbell got a five-year 50 million dollar extension outside linebacker Preston Smith got a four-year 52 and dollar extension cornerback Resol Douglas signed a three-year 21 million dollar extension so they looked like they were re-signing pretty much everyone apart from Zadarius they were going to get under the cap they were going to return pretty much a roster that could make a Super Bowl in the NFC and then the Blockbuster trade, well, what was the blockbuster trade at the time obviously now has been overshadowed by something else that we'll get to in a minute. But wide receiver one in the NFL, in my opinion, Devontae Adams, traded to the Las Vegas Raiders for a 2022 first and second round pick. Um, I don't know what to make of it. He's the best receiver in the NFL, but the Packers are lacking in picks, need young talent because they're running out of cap space. And, you know, what they they need to get elite talent on cheaper deals. And if they can find someone who's a first-round pick for $8 million a year, $7 million a year, who can perform at the value of a $20 million player, that's a win for them. So I'm torn because he was never staying long-term, I don't think. And they've got max value for him. And I think it's an angle that perhaps people aren't taking because he's the best receiver in the NFL and they should be going for the Super Bowl and they're selling out for the Super Bowl. But for the long-term future of the franchise, I a could move.
3: But the trouble well, for him had,
2: is... Sorry, go on, Ryan.
3: I, I agree. He had to go. Like I say they were not able to even backload any deal. They could not tie themselves to that horse too long because it would have crippled them in future. And I'd say first and second round is really good. Now, let's see if they go back and they don't waste capital on Jordan Love, a quarterback who's got pretty much no future in Green Bay. They'd probably like that capital back there. They've, they've not been very frugal in recent drafts. So they really have to make those two picks count. They've got to hit on at least one of them. Otherwise, the franchise, like I say, is is in a lot of trouble. Like I say, equanimius ain't coming back. Nevis Valdez scantling. I think they signed Robert Tonian. I think he agreed to return two days ago on a yeah, cheap deal. So that that's a decent signing. But no, they need a pretty much whole new core of receivers. So they've certainly got some work to do in this draft
2: is so they're probably still better than the other three teams by a fair margin at the minute which is just shows how far ahead they've been but I mean I mean that the Devontae Adams you can't replicate you know the connection between a receiver and a quarterback those two are in sync completely and utterly every tough third down every clutch throw every game-winning throw you have a connection with your quarterback. You can make ones like that, and they're not going to have that now. You know, they, this is a problem they've needed to address for years, and they haven't done so. But as we've seen in years gone by, you know, Aaron Rodgers has made Robert Tonyan look like one of the best tight ends in the league. You know, he's even elevated guys like Marquez Valdez Scantling and Alan Lazard into you know top receiving options. You know, he's just a quarterback who can do that. You don't need the best ones. You just need serviceable ones and him leading them. So they're still going to be a worry, but it may, may have been best for them to trade him. But I'm just looking forward to hopefully them not drafting a wide receiver till day three and watching Aaron Rodgers' face as every pick goes by and they don't give him another receiver. <laughs> I, I just don't think they'll pick a receiver. I really don't. I
0: think you're right. And it's going to be really,
2: really fun. They'll go D line. They'll go D line first. They, they desperately need a D lineman next to Kenny Clark. And if you can bet on their draft history, especially with all these Georgia guys knocking around this year, you can bet your bet that's where they'll go first in draft.
3: Why don't this trade John Love? Why did there's a market for him? Like, say, I think they've missed out on a market. I think someone would have come and taken him for a middle rounder. I say He is rotting away, and he brings no value to that roster in my eyes.
2: When you give up a first and two-fourths for him, it's like, it's, it's how much of a hit do you take on it? One-fourth for a guy you spent a first and a fourth, two-fourths on. It, it, sometimes you're like, you've got to hold on to them and just hope that maybe you'll use them and the value will go up.
0: I mean, I can only see that his value falling. The longer you go on, the shorter the amount of rookie contract remaining. Like, this is the absolute peak of where it will be because I don't think the talent is there. The more he plays, the more certain I am that there isn't anything there, which means the lack of information is actually holding up his value right now, so trade him. That's the most he'll get because he's not playing for you. The only reason he's playing for you is if Aaron Rodgers gets injured. If Aaron Rodgers gets injured, Green Bay are not competitive. So why does it matter whether Jordan Love is there? Like, it's just a pointless, pointless roster player.
3: The quarterback three, Kurt Benker has got more NFL experience right now. I'm pretty sure he played games with the Falcons and has been around. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was that quarterback too.
0: Dan's just said, crikey, I thought they double dip with wide receivers in their first two picks in the twenties. What do Green Bay need more? Whereas, well, as Ant said, defensive line is something that they always seem to like to bolster. And with, so, area gone, you can bet that that's what they're going to do. But also, I mean,
2: they is quarterback still a need? They need three techs. They've always had Kenny Clark, who's one of the best nose tackles in the business, but they've always struggled with the three tech guys. They've always had good edge guys, but it's that interior. So, I can bet your bottom dollar one of those two first-round picks is an interior defensive lineman to put with Kenny Clark. It won't be a receiver. And I think after that, you might look at Oh, I think Amos is just about to get extended, so maybe not safety, but linebacker. They might need another linebacker. They've still got Campbell, but depends what linebackers are there. Nah, they, bet, only,
0: they I, only play one linebacker 100% of the time.
2: I, I'm willing to bet that you know both those picks are defensive. At, at least one, I 100% bet is D-line. So there we go. And
0: just moving on to the Bears, they've signed wide receiver Byron Pringle from the Chiefs one year, $4 million guaranteed and a possible two extra in incentives. They've also signed Equinemia St. Brown, the brother of our own St. Brown, on a one-year deal, terms not disclosed. So not much going on with the Bears right now. Um, Around the NFL, there was obviously the blockbuster trade this week as Deshaun Watson finally got his move after initially ruling them out. He did decide that he was going to waive his no-trade clause to move to the Cleveland Browns. Oh, Houston received three first-round picks, a 2022 three-and-four first-rounder, a 2023 third, and a 2024 fourth. They received back a 2024 fifth-round pick. Why bother with the fifth-round pick coming back? Like, Was that moving the needle on the deal? Yeah. Um, are we going to get into this too much? I know we've talked about what's in the past, but no. Do we not want to?
2: Yeah. Well, I'll I'll just go back to the Bears and say the Bears are tanking. They're finally cutting loose all those big guys off their defense with all the dodgy, you know, with all the big contracts on them. You know, you look at Equinemius and Byron Pringle going there, and you're like, yeah, these aren't wide receiver one guys. They're they're barely even wide receiver three or four guys. They've lost their main guy as receiver there. Justin Fields, you know, they say their offensive lines are right, but they lost Daniels, the right guard. You know, Jenkins and Borum are both injury risks, big ones. I, do, I don't think they're going to do well next year. I'm going to say right now, if we finish below the Bears next year, I'm going to be pissed, seriously pissed, because yeah. they are a really bad team right now. And if we can't get in front of them next year, even with the talent at our disposal now, you know, even with us still just being in the rebuild, then there's something wrong with us. That's how bad they are, or are going to be. I completely
3: it's agree. Good, yeah. It's good to see I'm, Houston now has cleared out all the shit. They've got a huge draft capital. They've got Davis Mills, who looks like maybe a below-average starter, which could could buy them a few years. So now there's chance for them to rebuild. Like I say, I think this is good for Houston. This should breathe new, fresh life into them.
0: Well, if Houston can do something like we did last year, sign, prove it, guys and young guys, blood those guys and make sure that you get a top three pick next year and a load of young talent you've drafted this year. They could be in for a massive renaissance in twenty twenty three or twenty twenty four. Like they've completely changed where they can go now. It's it's a huge deal for Houston and I have I, Houston has been run so badly in the last few years, like it's it's laughable how bad it's been. But when it comes to Watson, I think they've handled themselves extremely well. Like, not going into the ins and outs of, well, innocent until proven guilty and all of that stuff. Allegations of wrongdoing. They sat him for the entire year, despite the fact that he didn't say that they had to. And then they've absolutely traded him at the top of his market. Like, they have done the absolute best for that organisation and held themselves up really well, in my opinion. Don't know if you guys... Feel I'm, different just ha- me.
2: I'm just happy for Davis Mills. I think he's going to have a good shot. I've been a good starter there. I highlighted him last year. I wanted him as Stafford's successor, you know, before he got traded last year. I thought that highly of him. He just needed to land in the right situation. He's been thrown in as a starter early, but he had a decent season, to be fair, mm, yeah. given the circumstances. And I think now, you know, if Lovey Smith will look after him and treat him right and, you know, get that team going in the right direction... I think, he'll be a, I think he'll be a good start for them. And, you know, I like to see these players do well. He went third round. You know, there's guys like Kellen Mond who went in the second and that who have, like, fallen off the face of the earth. You know, he deserves to be above guys like that. And you see now that that talent is coming to fruition. So I hope he has a good year, personally.
3: Baker Mayfield's future in the NFL is at a very precarious position. If things don't go well with his next move, he could be the next Johnny Manziel. Like, say, so could find himself out of football very quickly. I think, like, say, so if he if he doesn't get this right, because I think he's got that attitude. Like, say that I, I don't like. If he was offered to the Lions, I would not touch him with a barge pole.
2: And and like, wonder. and like I said on Twitter, if I catch anyone suggesting him to the Lions, I'm ringing the FBI on you. That's how bad that suggestion is.
0: I think I I feel quite differently to you guys, not in terms of attitude, but just in terms of talent. The guy has it. The guy definitely has it. Like two years, not the season just gone, but the year before was his best season in the NFL. His most recent healthy season in the NFL, he was a borderline top five quarterback. He was fantastic in 2020 Now, last year, he played through a shoulder injury. That's his own fault. He probably should have gone on IR. If he'd gone on IR, I think everyone would think quite well of him. But because he had the tenacity to play through and try and do his best for the team, He's done himself a massive disservice. And people think now that he's a shoddy quarterback who has no arm, can't throw, can't read defenses. But everyone has forgotten the 2020 season. It's not that long ago that he was absolutely tearing up with... This was the season where they had OBJ and he had absolutely no chemistry with him whatsoever. But he was making everyone else look good around him, just not OBJ. Like, the Browns looked fantastic that year and just didn't quite have enough to get over the hump. It's why, entering the most recent season, people were saying that the Browns were the favourites for the FC. Like, Baker Mayfield was one of the reasons for that. And whoever gets him is going to get an absolute steal, assuming
2: that the shoulder is recovered. Oh, I, I think he's been treated disgustingly. I do agree with Ryan where I think, you know, that there may be some aspects where he's going to struggle sustainably, but I think he's been treated terribly. Like you say, to get them in the first playoffs, and God knows how long, the win in there, to play through last season with a broken body. I mean, it's not his fault. He puts himself forward. The team could have said no and benched him and sat him. But, you know, to put all that in just to, you know, have the team go behind your back, try and trade you. Then when they can't trade you and you want them to trade you, they say no and they're like, oh, no, actually, we've got our guy. You can go. It's like what the Falcons have done with Matt Ryan. You know, they went all in on the house for a guy who's not even on the roster and in doing so disrespected their quarterback of 15 years. And, you know, he's he's left now because of that. Those franchises made some terrible decisions. This is how you don't treat your players. You know, you do not treat your franchise players like that. You don't go all in on someone who's not even on your roster and who might not be guaranteed to be on your roster. You know, and then just pull the rug out from under them like that—it's—it's disgusting, and it's why I love this regime so much. Our regime treats our players with the respect that they deserve. I mean, we could have—you know—we could have gone out and tried to do the same thing with Watson and pulled the rug up from under Goff, and it—you know—I would have hated them for doing that. I don't think Goff's going to be the guy long term going forward, but I believe you have to treat players with a modicum of respect, and I believe players see that. Like I put the other day, with Goss, at least with us, we are giving him an opportunity here to get his you know, chance. And if he doesn't take it, that's on him. But we haven't done wrong by him. There's so many teams have done for Watson in this chase. It's disgusting.
0: Yeah, and I mean, DJ Chark kind of brought that to light, really, didn't he? When he revealed this week how bad things were at the Jags. And if you want to have a look into that a little bit more, it's an interesting read. Um, but he signed here because... The outward perception of the Lions last year was that it was a respectful and fun place to work where they keep grinding until the bitter end, and that's something that he wants to be a part of. And long may that continue, because there are going to be people who feel the same way he does. He's not the only one.
2: No, exactly. It's the kind of culture you want to foster. It's why players will want to come and play for you, and you know they'll look at the teams now like the Panthers, like the Falcons, like, you know, the Browns who will sell their players out for anything really there. They'll be like, hang on. What if I go there and someone better comes along? They'll just trade my ass out of there, mm. even if I've been doing all right or if I've not had an opportunity. So, you know, sets the tone here. You know, as for Maya, that's, that's just terrible. I yeah. put it on Twitter today, you know, this time last year, Everyone ragged on us just because of the look of Dan Campbell. They didn't even try and take into account the man, the person he is, the culture he wants to install. And No one said a word about Maya, yet 12 months later, look who's laughing. We have the guy who's brought together this entire franchise in one year, has us looking better and developing players better than we have done in forever. And the other ones a dumpster fire. At the end of the Don't day, judge. if you've
0: got paid employees, you can't get away with as much as if you have college students on a free ride because you can just remove their scholarships if they say shit about you.
2: I want to know what has been said at OSU now. If he's saying that to paid professionals, what do you think he's saying to the youngsters? You know, run that route wrong once more and then you're out. scholarship's gone. I, I reckon there's a lot more to this than meets the eye. Like you say, college kids are nowhere near as well protected as paid professionals are. So if he's done that towards paid professionals, what the hell do you think he's done to youngsters?
0: Never mind the youngsters in terms of the men but you know, everyone saw the pictures of him at that bar, like I don't want to do any more speculation on that point but it does make the mind wander a little bit about what he's been up to, anyway let's move on from that piece of shit, and we did mention Matt Ryan just a moment ago, he's traded to the Indianapolis Colts for 2022 third round pick, there has been some jiggery-pokery with the contract as well i think he's getting more money guaranteed i'm not sure how that changes the cap implications before that cap work was done it was going to be a 29 million dollar hit and a 20 no 22 and then 29 million dollar hit for the Colts and it was going to be a 40 million dollar dead cap hit for the Falcons i did think with his contract that they would struggle to get any buyers but those cap hits are very manageable, very manageable for the Colts. And for me, that puts them in the realm of fringe contenders in the AFC now, because the AFC is so loaded that it's hard to see what they can do. But that roster is fantastic.
2: If the Colts get themselves a standout receiver in the draft, I, don't know, I think they're going to be a real danger next year. Obviously, they've, they've been ready to go for some time. They tried it with Wentz last year. It did not work. But I think it's going to work a lot better with Ryan. You know, they've stumbled into this almost by accident. If the Falcons had have never gone in for Watson, then this wouldn't be happening. But the, the Colts almost by luck have stumbled on a guy to get them there right now, which is what they need. So like you say, it's a great move for them. But for the Falcons, Jesus. I said last year during the draft, I said, you know, they need to take a quarterback to develop behind Ryan. They need a successor a successorship plan there for when he does eventually retire because he ain't the youngest. But no, they went and took the flashy tight end who got them a 1,000 yards and one touchdown. And now they've no quarterback. They've no tackles. They've no receivers. And they're in a very, very bad spot at the moment. And they're not really going to be drafting in a position to get one unless they want to pick for trade number two. We'll take a first round next year, a second this year, third this year maybe. They can they can trade with us and they can take Malik Willis,
0: and of course they replaced him with Marcus Mariota. Ryan, um, two year deal. It seems like the best they had available where they didn't have to trade for him.
3: Yeah, like so you look at the depth room. I think the next two quarterbacks were uh, Rosen, uh, Rosen and Felipe Franks, which honestly is makes you shiver, makes you shudder. That is an awful pair. The Falcons offense this year is going to be horrible. Offensive line, shit. Like I say, it's crap. Like I say, it couldn't keep, it couldn't stop Matt Ryan getting sacked or getting hit 40, 50 times a year. So, God help a quarterback that's half as good in Max Mariota. They're in serious trouble. Like I say, the Falcons uh, could be the worst team in the NFL this year. Like I said, they could very well scrape four or five wins and be in potential for that first round, that first pick. And I think they won it. Like I said, I think they'll, I think I think they'll take Kenny Pickett. At eight. Like I said, I think Malik Willis will be gone. I don't think they'll be ballsy enough to trade up front, so I think they'll take someone that they need to try and mold into the next guy. Someone big and clunky and not the most mobile. Sounds a bit like Matt Ryan, so I think Kenny Pickett could be the successor.
2: You know, I I think there's an interesting dynamic now because you think of them sat at eight, but right behind them are the Seahawks and well. Oh, guess Washington aren't really in it anymore, but they might still want a draft guy. There are guys behind them who will want a quarterback and it's, you know, how far do you jump, how brave do you try and stay at your position, you know. It
0: If Washington think that Carson Wentz is anything more than a one year let's see how it goes, they are fooling themselves. They should know the teams think they can fix him, can't I'm willing to bet a fairly substantial amount of money that Carson Wentz has a shorter NFL career than Baker Mayfield.
2: So, yeah, well, if that's the case then, you've, you've got three teams within four picks who need a quarterback there, and you know, maybe one maybe two quarterbacks who might fit the bill, so the wrong team may panic and jump a little too far, you don't know because, you know at the end of the day, the Giants are rolling with Jones on his f- fourth year, but they've not given him a fifth year deal. They could decide, oh, you know what? Two first, two top ten picks. We'll spend one on a quarterback as well. And then you've got to jump them. So yeah. there's a possible dynamic brewing here where it could could potentially work in our favour.
0: Yeah, from like looking like there was absolutely no chance, there is now a non-zero chance of a trade-off offer happening. Um But there we go. Let's move on. And offensive tackle Lyle, I never say that name, Lyle Collins. Lyle. Lyle, thank you, uh, has gone from the Cowboys to the Bengals. Massive signing for the Bengals who've struggled with that offensive line to protect Joe Burrow. The Super Bowl 2021 appearance may convert into a 2022 appearance too. 2022 season, 2023 appearance.
2: If they needed it, they've actually done quite a good job of protecting Borough now. They've got three pro Bowl guys they've brought in now. I know they've brought the guard in and the centre. I can't remember which centre they got, but, you know, if if they draft like one elite O-lineman in there as well, then I think you can consider that problem fixed and you could see them going straight back there because that was the one glaring issue they had last year and they've kept a good portion of that team together.
0: Yeah, Karras, as Ash says, was one of the guys that they brought in. But there we go. And Alex Kappa, the other one. So there we go. Um, Other signings around the league. Juju Smith-Schuster went to Kansas City Chiefs on a one-year $10.75 million deal. Tennessee Titans traded for the Rams wide receiver uh, Robert Woods for a 2023 sixth-round pick. And then former Lions quarterback Matthew Stafford re-signed to a four-year but effective three-year $129 million extension, which is being viewed as a team-friendly deal on an average of $43 million a year, which is just boggles the mind to me. But fair play to Matt, goes, leaves the Lions in pursuit of a ring, gets ring, gets paid. Fully deserved.
3: I don't think he'll see out that deal. I think he'll retire before
2: that deal ends. Like I say, he's his his future's secure now. So, you know, good for him getting the bag. He's got the ring. You know, outside of getting another ring, he's got nothing left to prove to anybody. But I kind of hope he does get that second one just to really piss off Aaron Rodgers' supporters, saying that he's better and he's only got one ring and Matt has two. Outside of that, I think you know it's very rare you find real unity in the NFL, but I can guarantee you the second that Juju gets to Kansas and starts doing TikToks with Jackson Mahomes, 31 NFL fan bases will be united in their unity of hate towards them. I mean, they're pretty close <laughs> to being there already. I mean, 32 could be. I reckon, I reckon Chiefs fans will hate it just as much as the rest of us. So that, that'll be total unity around the league when those two start TikToking with one another.
3: It's a shame for Robert Woods because the Titans wasted Julio Jones. So I can't wait for them to waste a year of his career too.
0: Oh, I don't know. I mean, he's going to slot in straight straight as that slot receiver because they released... Um, oh no, I'm thinking of Buffalo. Uh, never mind. Sorry, Tennessee. He's still a great fit there, surely, with A.J. Brown. Um, he's going to see a lot of targets in that offense. I
3: don't, don't rate Tannehill. Hill glorified game manager. I've never rated him.
2: They're going to it's not a question the you they They're going to draft a quarterback type Tennessee are. So... I reckon Woods might have someone else throw into him next year. Maybe so.
0: All right. That finishes off our look around the league and the news. We're going to move swiftly on to our linebacker chat because we've got quite a few to get to. Hopefully, Tom will be joining us soon to go through his guys as well. He's taking the Georgia trio. But we're going to start off with... uh, We're going pretty much, sorry, in the order that the Draft Network have these guys. And there's Hanson on the cam if you're not watching on youtube or twitch ryan's lovely dog is joining us on the cam as he always does looking like good
2: hey hi good boy <laughs>
0: um right we're gonna start off with cave thibodeau who potentially is the most divisive prospect in the entire draft some people still have him number one overall some people have him falling down into the late teens at this point um this was one of mine, so Kayvon Thibodeau is an edge, but also can fit in quite nicely as a 3-4 outside linebacker. Played at Oregon with a number five. He is a junior. He's 21 years old with his birthday in December, so he's still very young. Nine point seven roused score. He's six foot five, two hundred and fifty pounds. He played thirty games for Oregon, 126 tackles. 84 of which solo 35 and a half tackles for a loss including 19 sacks seven passes defended from that position too which is insane and three forced fumbles i watched two uh, sorry i watched three games of his so against USC in 2020 Fresno State in 2021 and the Pac-12 championship game against Utah in 2021 First thoughts about him is that he lines up on both sides of the line equally well. So left end, right end, or his 3-4 outside linebackers on the left or right-hand side. He looks undersized when you see him on tape. I do think that he could stand to perhaps put on a little bit of weight um, at 250, you know, at that position. And as someone who isn't necessarily a speed rusher, but someone who likes to bull rush... 250 is not heavy enough to do that, I don't think. He is lightning fast off the line, though. He is pretty much always the first off the line on either side of the line, which gives him an advantage over anyone else that he's against. Obviously, that might reduce when he actually gets down to the NFL level. He's got an exceptional motor. So all the way through his reps, he's going at 100%. Uh, For me, I've not seen him take time off. You know, even if he is getting stymied, that's not down to a lack of effort that I've seen. In his ball rush, he's not particularly inventive, but he does use leverage very well. So he resets pockets constantly with the strength of someone much bigger than his weight. So you see Jordan Davis when we um, talked about defensive tackles, and he's always resetting the line two or three yards further back. Well. Kayvon kind of does that on the edge against tackles, offensive tackles. So, you know, it's, it's good, but he doesn't have a deep array of pass rush moves. There's a lot to do there with his hands. He doesn't seem to have much of a swim move or a spin move or anything like that. He seems to just ball rush pretty much all the time, which is a bit worrying. He also doesn't have particularly a lot of bends uh, around the outside, which also worries me. He is a weapon against the run. So, all of what I'm saying you know, is something which is potentially worrying, but I do think that is something he has over most edge rushes in this class, is that he can set an edge very, very well. Um, teams will just run it away from him the majority of the time because they're worried about running into him. Um, against USC, there were a couple of examples where he did win in speed rush attempts, so I think it's something that he could do if he tried. He just... Doesn't do it enough, so I want to see that a lot more from him. Um, do, 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 what else do we have in here? Uh, against Fresno, so that was in 2020, Fresno State in 2021. He looked a bit more bulked up. Um, he dropped back into coverage quite a lot in this game. I don't know if that was something scheme specific against Fresno State, but I think I saw him do it against Utah as well. So covering. Running backs in the flat, dropping back and covering slot receivers across the middle. He seemed very adept at doing that. Seemed very natural to him. So that's something which could be interesting. But as we're moving away from a 3-4 to a 4-3, perhaps not the most useful of characteristics for him. Um, He has an eye for the ball. When he is rushing the quarterback, if he does get there... His first thought is not, I'm going to take the course back down, but that he is going to go ball hunting. So I do think that forced fumbles are going to be a thing that you see from him in the league. Um, once he gets beaten once, he doesn't really seem to have any counters, which is really worrying. Like, he just kind of keeps trying the same thing. And it's like, come on, man, you you got to do something else. Um, you do often see him getting chopped by tight ends or doubled, which he seems to kind of hamper him a little bit, and he doesn't deal with double teams as well as I'd like. Uh, In terms of run defense, I said he was really good, but he does have this annoying habit, especially in the Utah game that I watch, of over-pursuing a rush attempt away from him, and then getting sealed off by a player coming the other way, so he's over-pursuing and not realizing there might be a possible counter in there, and not really holding his edge. So... There's a lot to work on for him. I think he's definitely not the finished prospect that people say he's going to be, but what I did see was someone completely able to wreck a game from his position. You saw in every single game that he was in, that he was being planned for, that he was an issue, and that is why a lot of the negatives are actually being shown up there, because he's not got a lot to do a lot of the time. People are rushing the opposite direction to him, so... What I want to see from him is developing a bit more of a speed rush, better use of hands, maybe putting on a little bit of weight. Um, I, I can't see the Lions picking him at two, is where I'm at at the end of all of this. He's someone who I can totally see why people were saying he's still that premium prospect. But I think when looking at the rest of the edge guys in this class, he's a bigger reach than some of the others. i I've, I've already on record saying I think almost anyone at two has reached reach this year. I think he's a slightly bigger reach than some of the others we might go for. What have you seen, you guys, from Kvong to Vido? You know, anything to add?
2: You've, you've summed it up pretty well there, I think. Um, I mean, for me... I may have come across as harsh on him this year and Aiden for that matter. I think it's just mainly because I believe Hamilton to be a more complete player in there. And, you know, Kayvon has some great things going for him. He's probably one of the most athletic guys in this draft. You know, like you say, the motors there, the effort is there, but you don't see from a number two player, what you want to see from a number two player, as you say, the lack of creativity when it comes to his rushing has far been the biggest problem for me. I highlighted this months and months ago. He's got the ball rush and that's it. He's one of the best edges in this classic, getting around the edge. If he gets the leverage on you and gets around the edge, no one does it better than him in this draft, but that's all he does. When he gets bottled up, when he gets double teamed, he doesn't know how to deal with it in a lot of cases. Those two Utah games, you know, case in point, which we've used for a long time now, They schemed against him, and, you know, he didn't adjust. You know, you say that teams run the ball away from him. They actively ran the ball towards him. They put in the tight ends to chop him. They sent the running backs out to block him. They put an extra lineman in there, and it was the exact same in, you know, in the Pac-12 regular season game when Utah won it from under Oregon's nose, and it was in the same in the Pac-12 title game. Nothing changed, and when I'm picking an edge rusher at number two, I need a guy who's going to be a difference maker, a game changer. And when you don't see the change in his attitude or his game plan in two huge games like that, then you begin to worry about him in those clutch situations. Because like earlier in the season where they're playing Stanford last drive, Oregon were about to win it. It was a game they lost, which was critical to their season and losing the PAC 12 title. He got ejected on the last play for a dirty hit in those high moments in You know, in those high-pressure moments, he's just not delivered. And those two games really sealed it for me. Having said that, like I say, at what he does best, there's no one who can even touch him. But I'm not taking a prospect at two who has such a small pass-rushing arsenal when guys like George Karlaftis, Jermaine Johnson have better pass-rushing arsenals than he does because at the next level, you need that. You're not going to be able to bull rush your way to a win every single time. You're going to have to get creative to get your sacks. That's where I sit with him.
3: I agree. Those Utah games, he went missing. Like I said, when he needed to step up, he was neutralized. I saw them run the ball straight at him. And at run support times, he looks flat out lazy. I've seen him engage with blocks, get stood up, and I've seen him just give up. If he knows the ball's not coming his way, he doesn't always chase down pursuit on the backside. Like I said, there's the motor there, but not always the effort. I've been really put off in some games this year. I defiantly do not want him. I said, he has the, let's say, the lack of arsenal. I say because at that weight and that size, if he just tries to run through people at the next level, he will be humiliated. He is going to get pancaked. If he's not able to work on the bend, if he's not able to swim, dip the shoulder, drop it, I'd say if he's just going to try to rely on the same bread and butter moves that worked in college, people are just going to sit him on his ass. So everything's there. The tools, the skill, the speed, need a bit of weight. It all needs refining, and he needs to broaden his horizons and work on the Arsenal. It's technique now that I want to see. Like I said, there's more out there. That There's a lot more edge out here that are technically gifted. Like I said, that I've got a bigger arsenal of weapons. They're not as fast or as athletic, but I think some of – He's not as well rounded as some of the other people. And
2: yeah. You have injury history concerns over the ankle as well, which would also raise a slight flag because obviously the bend he imparts, the speed he goes at, you've got to have that ankle be fully healthy. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Bigarez says part of that might be what Oregon was doing defensively, but I agree. He disappointed in some big games. Other comments in there, some from Luke G, who is in the. House, what up, dote to Luke? He said, uh, "The best thing going for on at the moment is the draft isn't strong in general. Um, a few other cards." So he, said, he scares me for real. I feel like he will ball for that big contract and then become an asshole.
3: I think he's Jadavion Clowney 2.0. He's got all the hype but I think he could just fizzle out because up until now, Clowney has been incredibly disappointing. And he came into the league with an incredible amount of hype.
0: Well, the thing is, also, their athletic profile and what they do well is incredibly similar. Clowney is an yeah. elite, elite run defender with limited pass rush. That is exactly what Kayvon is. So,
2: And I think it depends a lot what where he ends up. You know, if he's got a bona fide edge one running opposite him and teams can't devote as much protection towards him, he'd probably flourish. But if he's coming to a team like us, let's say, where he's immediately probably going to be edge one if Romeo's not fit. So, you know, the attention will be on him, these extra blockers in there, et cetera. And when it's proven that he can't deal with that, then that's no good for us. We need a guy who's going to be able to come in and really take these two, two man sets on that are blocking them and just destroy them. We still need that guy, really, if we're not going to have a deep rotational group like we don't have at the moment. So if you're, if you're invested in two, you need a guy who can really make the difference. And I don't think he will, unless the guy opposite him is just as good. Yeah. Um, people
0: reacting to the puppy, Dan saying, hi, puppy. Derek saying, um, exclamation, pet puppy, which I think is a quick command, isn't it? So we need to do something like, in Twitch, you can... Um, redeem your points for a view of the puppy or Ryan has to give him a stroke or something. <laughs> Quite cute. Um, Derek also feeling under the weather, not COVID. But I hope you feel better soon, man. Um, I know how you feel, actually. I spent the last week sick. So there we go. Not the best in these COVID times. But let's move on to our second guy. And this is one for Rye. It's Jermaine Johnson II from Florida State University. Someone's favorite amongst the Ruler Lions crew. So watch your words, Brian.
2: I so hope he's just written one line for this.
3: <laughs> no, this. If Ashley's watching, like say, I like Jermaine Johnson. Real only perk or highlight of the year for me. He he flourished. So Jermaine Johnson the second, former last chance U star. That has bounced around, went through Juco to find his feet after a struggling career. Uh, came out as a senior from FSU, uh, six foot. Four inches and a half, two hundred fifty-four pounds. In his twenty-twenty-one season, he was the heart of that defense. Seventy tackles, twelve sacks, two forced fumbles, a fumble recovery, and a huge eighteen tackles for loss. I say he got a raz of a nine-point-eight-six as a backer or a nine-point-five-six a defensive end. That's because of his weight. It did uh, it did drop down his score, but very an, an elite forty time at four fifty-eight. Someone that plays pretty upright and a very respectable ten or uh, five broad jump. Like I say, and I've enjoyed watching this guy play all year. He works his way from the interior defensive line outside. So he's able to generate pressure from the middle, and he's able to rush the passer from the outside. Plays happily two three point stance, so he's happy to put his uh, he'll put his hand in the dirt. He's more a defensive lineman. You wouldn't stand him up there. The first thing you see after tape is. The release, the explosiveness. He he just has a knack for getting the snap count. He can beat offensive linemen before the players even happened. He can already be in the backfield. He has got such a knack for it for the timing, which has got like an internal clock that does really well. He often gets he'll get caught occasionally. Like say they will trip him up. There'll be the odd uh, encroachment or offside, but that's not through discipline. That's just for he's a bit twitchy. But his get-off and explosiveness is incredible. He's got a really long frame. So he's excellent in run support, rushes the passer really well. He's able to use it to get bend around the outside. He can come through the middle. But he's also able to set the edge and swallow up running backs. So he's someone that I've thoroughly enjoyed watching. But also as well, that in the run game against run-heavy teams, he's also able to show patience. When he's setting the edge on the outside, he won't blitz off the line. He will wait to see if there's a reverse or a counter, and he's able to track that with good side-to-side, sideline agility. The hips flip pretty well. So I think at the next level, he could sneak into the first round. I've seen a lot of people mocking him from like 28 to 32. I'd be very happy with him at 32. I think he's, I'd say, I think he's a more complete package right now than Kavon. He's got good support, but he doesn't just rely on speed. He doesn't just rely on that burst off the line. He's able to take tackles around the outside. He works the hands a little bit more, which Kayvon doesn't always do. So, for me, I think he's someone that's had a fantastic year, and I'd like say, I should be very happy if the Lions took him. I think I'd be very happy. If he falls to 34 and with not taken an edge, like I say, I would snap him up because you can shuffle him along that four man front. He's able to play a plethora of positions, and he's able to generate pressure from inside, out, outside in, and also do really well in run support. And He's a really like a book kid. He's worked really hard, like I say he's had to move into these small towns to resurrect a career that was going off the rails almost. He's done really well to get to Florida State. And he was the highlight of a, a disappointing Seminoles team. I won't be too harsh on them, like I say, but no, he he was really fun to watch last year. And I think someone could get a steal if he falls to you know, always second.
2: And yeah, I mean, you want to know how good the Georgia defense was this year. This this guy was considered not good enough to play for them and had to go and find his opportunities elsewhere. And, you know, it's great for him that he did, as Ryan says, he's gone to a team who has, on the whole, disappointed quite a lot this year. But he has absolutely taken advantage of this move Obviously, because FBS players, they couldn't do this before. They couldn't just switch from college to college. He'd have had a year out, but you know, they've bought in this new rule where he can go straight across, and he has played his absolute heart out for them. And you've seen from everything, not just in season, but afterwards, he's come to senior bowl. He wrecked everyone at senior bowl week, then went home. He's done well at the combine. His measurables are good. You know This, this is why I've been so dead set against an edge rusher at two for so long now, because there are guys like Jermaine, who are going to be available later in the draft who have just as much high side of some of these elite guys and you're not spending the number two pick on them. You know, for me, he's, he's one of the best edges in this draft. I've got him at four just behind Carl Aftis. It's not very far, but, you know, he's a hell of a player. And at the next level, he's going to have a really good career. Again, just his athleticism is off the charts. His power, his strength, you know, it's they're all things you want to see from your edge rusher and they say they're just little bits of technique he needs to refine and that but if he lands in the right system with the right coach he's he's absolutely going to flourish in a 4-3 system and you know I think it's just a shame for us that he's probably going to be in that area trades withstanding that we're not going to be able to grab him But if he was there at any of our picks after two then you'd run the ticket up before they'd even like moved on to you but I love him as a player. I think he's going to be great at the next level. And whoever gets him is going to draft one hell of an edge player.
0: Yeah, super exciting guy. And our very own Steve has just asked, would we? Would you trade down for him as he is projected between 15 and 20 rather than hope to get him at 32? I mean, I would struggle to see how we could trade down that far. But maybe, maybe there's a question of would you consider trading up for him? I mean... There's a few mocks that I've seen recently from sort of more of the clickbaity draft nicks that are out there projecting him in the top 10, which I think is a bit rich. But do you think there's value to perhaps trading up a little bit for him from 32 or 34?
2: It depends where you go with two, I guess, is the first one. Um, obviously, if you go with an edge at two, then no. Sure, okay. Exempting if you go with... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've said I'd trade 32 and 34 away, but for the guy I'm about to talk about, not Jermaine, but... Mm-hmm. Eh.
0: Okay, in a vacuum, no other player is available. <laughs> Would you like him? Like, as opposed to someone who you can only get at 32 and 34, so... You know, Devin Lloyd doesn't exist, and...
2: Providing we weren't getting too fleeced on the deal, then yes, I would. Fair. And Providing we got Hamilton first, I would trade up for him, but I'd only trade up so much for him, if you get what I mean.
0: Just want to make this public as well, that Ashley has said on the record that if we get Hamilton at two, and either Jermaine Johnson or Boye Maffey, he's doing a run in his boxes. So you all, everyone here is now a witness to that. He did put it in the Twitch chat, but I hope you all hold that, him to that if it happens. Um, Super Cyan Lines in the YouTube chat says from Carlaftis who Ant is going to profile which is why we haven't spoken about him Maffei, Benito and Thomas which two do you prefer over the others? I'll throw that
3: to Thomas. you. Thomas. I love I mean, Thomas. Was, yeah.
2: We, we, we're both big Thomas fans and I'm a big Carlaftis fan. So them two.
0: I go Carlaftis and Maffei. Personally, I don't know enough Shit, about. Mathay's in there,
2: I did. Yeah, it, it it's difficult, but you know, maffei needs. maffei just like I was saying to you before we came on, maffei just needs consistency in this game. Got all the tools, got all the technique. But Thomas, there's just something about him that really, really like. Just mm. you know, when you you have that gut feeling about a player, right? Say you got a gut feeling about a guy, but, but Mathay, oh, I, be, I take oh, maffei I I like those
3: kids from the Mountain West Conference. They produce tough, hard-nosed kids. Like I said, that's why I like the Cameron Thomas. So I think I would be happy to wait for him because I know he'll be there when we want and trade up for Jermaine Johnson. And I think they can do the same thing to a good enough standard.
2: And, yeah, and I will 100% take Maffei in those second two picks as well, if he's there, 100%. Dan's asked about
0: Quay Walker at 32 or 34. When Tom comes on, he's going to profile Quay Walker and we will Key. answer that question. Sorry, Key. 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 Key Walker. Sorry. Key Walker. Beg your pardon. Um, we will profile him later and answer that question at the time. We're going to move on to our third guy and Devin Lloyd of Utah. Linebacker one.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to make absolutely no bones about this. He's one of my favourite players in this draft by by a long stretch of the imagination. I just love everything this kid brings to the table. So like you say, yeah, Devin Lloyd, he's linebacker with the Utah Oots. He's been there for four years. They're just coming off a Pac-12 championship win and they won the Pac-12 North as well, both in games against Oregon where he showed up whereas Kayvon didn't. He had noticeable impacts on those games, including a pick six in the championship game, which took all the momentum away from Oregon early on and cemented there. He he is a real big part of the reason why they've won that division this year. And the reason is he's just, this guy has such an all-round game to him. I'll just go through some of the intangibles first. So he's 6'4", he's 235 pounds. He's got a great build for a linebacker. His 2021 season. He had 66 solo tackles, 45 assisted tackles, 22 tackles for loss, totaling 97 yards of loss. He had eight sacks for another 60 yards of loss. He had a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, four interceptions, two of which went back for pick sixes, including that one in the Pac-12 championship game. He's got two quarterback hits, six pass breakups as well. This guy has racked up the accolades coming through college. He's got 10 times... He's got 10 All-American accolades, including eight this year. Most of them are first team. He's a three-time all pack 12-er, again in the first team. And he's only been playing for four years. in The first, he didn't play so much. This guy has just landed awards wherever the hell he's gone. He's got the fourth most tackles for loss in the program history. And that's coming from a linebacker where generally you, you know might not be the most tackling position there, but he's the fourth most in history. He's the only active Pac-12 player who's got three pick sixes. I think he's got about five overall. It's crazy. And he had the most 90 plus graded games on PFF of all linebackers in the country this season. He had three. And why is he so good? I I, I have a nickname for him. I just call him Do-It-All Devin. And that is because he does everything you expect of a linebacker. You need a defensive liner. Uh, sorry, you need a defensive leader. Devin Lloyd. You need a run-stopping linebacker, Devin Lloyd. You want a running back hunter down in the backfield, Devin Lloyd. Blitzing linebacker, coverage linebacker, a linebacker who can read a quarterback and pick off a pass. You know, you need a guy who's almost as complete a prospect as you can get in this draft and maybe the most NFL-ready prospect in this draft. You draft Devin Lloyd because he can just do everything that you really need a linebacker to do. But what really sets him apart from the other guys is his IQ. So, one, he's been a team captain for most of his career there with the youths. But for me, the thing that really stands out on tape, he is an elite pre-snap communicator. So, you know, you can see it, especially if there's tape up of when they played Washington it was an old Pac-12 fixture. You will see him going up to his defensive line moving them around, creating mismatches. He can see all this with his eyes. He creates the mismatches on the field and then sets the plays in motion. He has that sort of leadership ability on that defense and is allowed to make those decisions on his own because his football IQ is just a tier above anyone else he's really competing against here. His reaction times during in-play are second to none. You will see, you know, a run play will develop into a pass play, whatever. He will adjust so quickly to what's going on on the pitch. He can read a quarterback. You've seen how many times he's picked off passes, how many pass breakups he has. He'll watch what a quarterback's doing. He'll jump the route before the pass is even gone. You only need to look at that Pac-12 title game. Anthony Brown threw one cross field. Devin Lloyd was already in the line of it before he'd thrown it because he saw the pass that he was going to make and he took it straight back to the house. Six points, you know, game-changing momentum. That's what you want from a linebacker sort of of his build here. And, you know, I've gone through all this and I've not even started on his vers- versatility yet. So he's played all over at Utah to, you know, success everywhere. He's played as a Mike linebacker which is probably where he's best at, you know, given his skill set, his explosion, his ability to read the plays. He is great there. He's played at outside linebacker. As I say, he goes and he blitzes, brings in additional pressures, you know, he's brought in against the run. He's also got the frame to play at edge and he actually has a decent pass rushing arsenal for a linebacker to be able to do that. And not only that, he's also played as a big slot as well. So it's like He's played in the slot. He's played at linebacker. He's played at edge. He has the versatility and his athleticism to do pretty much anything that he wants. And this is something that's been sorely lacking from our team for years and years and years. And the only reason you've not heard me mention him more recently, because I have before, is just we're unfortunately not really in a position to grab him here. He's probably going to be there on the periphery of a top 10 pick. But if if we trade back at all once, he goes straight up to number one, on my priority list. He's just that damn good. I think the only thing he doesn't do, which Micah Parsons does, and he's obviously coming in at an all-pro season, is Micah's pass rushing is a little bit better. And if you're picking that sort of hybrid linebacker guy, you know, his ability to rush the passer is, you know, key. And it's very much sort of valued. Devin can do it just not as well as Micah does. But apart from that, you know, this is just a guy who you need to fine tune a little bit, but he's as NFL ready as any player's going to come. And if we can get him, our linebacker room instantly takes a huge fucking hiking quality. He is that, that good.
0: Ryan, Devon Lloyd.
3: Yep. As a Pac-12 fan myself in Arizona State, like I say, he's, he's been a menace for a couple of years now. Like I say, it's hard to add much more. It's, he has got elite ball skills. He plays the ball like any elite safety does. Like I say, he he gets he reads quarterback's eyes, he diagnoses plays, he jumps routes, and he doesn't just get the ball when he gets an interception or slide taking the, like, he looks for the pylon, he goes to the end zone, and then it's a foot race, and it's not a foot race you really want to get into because he can outpace all offensive linemen. Most quarterbacks can't catch him. You need a fast receiver to stop him taking it to the house the other way. So he does everything well. I agree pass rushing, blitzing him off the edge. Probably not something you want to do too often, Or depending on who your opponent is. But you can leave him, put him in an island in the midfield. field. Like I say, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. Can pick any of them up. He can track them all across the field. And I say he's a good leader. So in his own defense, he will communicate who does well, who picks up, who drops off. And he will organize the troops pre-snap. So I'd say he's well worthy of that top seven to eleven picks. I think that's the kind of rare you're gonna see him going. I expect he's gonna be easily at the first back off the board.
0: Yeah, there's one play that I've seen and it's not actually the um, Oregon one, but it's a game against Stanford. Game was gone. Start the fourth quarter, it's it's a absolute blowout. But it's third and nine near the their own goal line for Stanford and Lloyd rushes the passer from off the ball through the A gap, can't win retreats back into the passing lane, he's only about three yards away from the quarterback and the quarterback goes to throw an out to the left hand side, Lloyd manages to get both hands up there with a big jump catch the ball cleanly and move forward with momentum into the end zone and just reaches for the line I mean, it's a staggering bit of play because you can see that his rush affects the quarterback even though he doesn't win one on one against the the center or the guard. I can't remember which one he goes up against. So he affects the quarterback and rushes him, but has enough time to retreat back and get his hands on the ball. And not only does he deflect it, but catches it cleanly. It's um, it's a fantastic play and indicative of the intelligence that you both have spoken of. He's just an exciting player. You know, there's. I can't comp him to anyone particularly because I just.
2: Don't think I've ever seen anyone
3: play linebacker like him. No, I, Darius I... Leonard. Darius Leonard might play the ball as well as him, but I think that might be the current only one you could say frame-wise as well.
2: Exactly. You know, the sort of versatility just sets him apart. Like say, when when you can play him on the edge, when you can play him at Mike, when hell, when you can play him in the slot, even when a guy has that sort of ball skill, it's just it's crazy. He is an absolute weapon there, and you know he's. You know, him playing alongside Nefi Soul and that, they were just such a formidable pairing with Utah. And they were the bedrock on which they won this championship. This guy is a born leader who knows how to win. He does everything. He's, you know It's not like he even backs out either. He will throw himself headfirst into tackle. He will get himself in there. He's not afraid to put his body on the line either for his team. He's just got every single ideal that you want in a player. I so say the only reason we're not talking about him more is just because a little bit of that pass rush. But to be honest, I don't care when he can do so much else. If he can even do just a little bit of pass rush with all these other aspects, I take him high. I take him dead high, you know. And I know it won't impress the quarterback enthusiast, but I'd sooner take him at two than Willis. I really, honestly would. I think he's that good, and he could, you know, just make your defense so much better. He's, he's, he's crazy good and he, he would be the main reason that I would look for a trade back. If I'm looking for a trade back or especially special it's to 8 and 9, one of these QB needy teams, he would be the reason I'd do that.
0: You mentioned before that you kind of wanted to trade 32 and 34 to move up. What's your idea with that? Where are you
2: moving to? If Where falls do you think to he's actually going to go? If he falls to 15 or 16, I'm taking both picks and throwing them at whoever's there, I think. I, d- I
0: don't think there's the same hype around the league, at least with the fans, for this guy, compared with Mika Parsons last year. Last year, everyone had Parsons LB1. It wasn't close, and most people were mocking him in the top ten to us at seven, or perhaps earlier, ended up going at eight, was it? or No, other way around, sorry, we were, I don't know, whatever, it was in that sort of range. Some people don't have him as the linebacker one. You know, some people do have um, uh, N'Kobe Dean as linebacker one. So, I personally think the wealth at linebacker this year... People were saying before the linebacker class is poor. It's really not. You've got um, Lloyd, you've got Moomer and Clark and Harris and Chanel um Dean and Walker... With the wealth of quality at linebacker, part of me feels like they all fall a little bit because there's not going to be a rush to take one. And so I think that opens up opportunities for us to get value here.
2: See, I'm trading for the guy's IQ. I'm trading for what he brings as a leader to this team as well, which isn't necessarily indicative on tape all the time. And, you know, I... I, I, I know the Pac-12 guys do get hype as well, but I also think the league is not looked upon as fondly as others as well. Sometimes Parsons was in a notable program in the Big Ten there. I just I think for what he brings, the scheme versatility, the mismatch you get there, the IQ you've got in him, just how much he you upgrades defense, I think there's a possibility there, especially if he slips. I would do it for more so than some of these guys, but like I say, this is just my opinion. A lot of other people think differently. But I just, I just see a really great guy there. I, I was the same with Parsons last year, and he's an all-pro now. So, who knows?
0: There we go. Right, that's Devin Lloyd. And we did have a question come in from our very own Steve as well, who's got a hypothetical involving Boye Maffei, who's not the next one, but the next one after that. So we'll get to your question then, my good sir. But we're going to move on to David a jabbo of michigan one of mine worth noting as well that he has done his achilles in his pro day people were saying oh you know the the running back from the rams came back after six months so maybe six months is a time frame And it's like people forget that that six month turnarounds for um oh why have i forgotten his Pan-acres. name That's Pan-acres. Pan-acres. thank you the, the turnaround for Cam Akers to come back from that injury was unprecedented. It was exceptional. People expecting a six-month turnaround for a jabbo are...
2: Well, where's just... Romeo? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, so, Romeo apparently is meant to be coming on better than expected. So, I'm hopeful that he's going to you know have a full camp. But he's been injured since... October? Fourth week, since the fourth week of the season. And, yeah, you know, so not... o- October time, so he's been out for five months now. Hmm.
3: so Akuda's, got, Akuda's coming on quickly. He's running already, he's doing sprints, so he looks good.
0: Akuda, Akuda was done in what, August? September? So even, even then you're looking at six or seven months.
2: One. He was done game one, so whenever game one was.
0: Yeah, September isn't it? So So he's been done for six months. So six months is potentially achievable. But even then, you're you're at game one from now. So his timeline completely wipes out his preseason. So you've got to bear that in mind when you talk about David Ajabo. He was being mocked at top end of the first round. You saw some mocks having him at sort of number eight, number nine. Some people having him as far down as the mid-20s. But he had a big range in the first round. One of the bigger ranges you've seen because he is very raw. And here's why. David Ajabo, edge outside linebacker from Michigan, played at seventy number 71 of 55. He's a junior, 21 years old, birthday in May 2000. So he will be 21 just after the NFL draft. Six foot five, 250 pounds. He only played in... 14 college games, and 13 last year, so he is a one-year player. One-year production, but a one-year player only. 36 tackles, 25 of which solo, 12 tackles for a loss, including 11 sacks. So, he is a pass rusher. Three passes defended a forced uh, fumble recovery, and five forced fumbles in a season, which is unbelievable. The guy is really polarising when you watch him on tape, because I'm sure you've all heard this idea of, a jabbo is extremely raw, needs to be moulded, bit of work to do here. I saw someone that had more to him than Kayvon Thibodeau on tape. I saw more from a jabbo than I'd want to see from Kayvon, because I really want to see pass rush. Against the run, a jabbo is not the best, which is why I think he very much is a 3-4 outside linebacker. If he puts on weight and develops a little bit and can set an edge a bit better, maybe he can play some 4-3 and U of M did play some 4-3 but mainly play a 3-4 so he is used to that outside linebacker role. He is undersized again, 250 much like Kayvon, so could maybe stand to put on a little bit more weight but in terms of his pass rush he's more explosive to me than Kayvon. I saw him bend very, very well. I'm not talking about at that sort of really elite end, but he is very, very bendy on that outside, frequently beating the um, the tackle's speed round the outside. He um, has a very, very good spin move that he likes to use a lot, so sometimes that does mean he ends up taking his eye off the ball, but he does beat his tackles more often because of it. His feet are extremely slick when he does it. Even though we're all told that he's a liability against the run. His run the instincts are better than expected. So he's not He's not a complete liability. He'll do a job. He's just not quite as refined as you'd want him to be. He struggles to once the tackles have a, a hand on him, he struggles to release, so he's got to learn to extend his arms against the tackles. Um, or to get some sort of leverage to have a bit more impetus, a bit more oomph in his punch. Um, he's got a really nice shimmy step, works inside and out very, very well. Uh, he's got an eye for the ball too. Five force fumbles in the ear, like I say. So he has just got a nose for the football. When he bends around the edge, because he's beating people for speed, he's getting to the quarterback, and before the quarterback is expecting him versus someone like Kayvon, who's winning with power, And actually the quarterback is set by that point. So even if Kayvon gets there, results in sacks. But a jabbo more often than not. Almost half of his sacks were strip sacks. This is just ridiculous. Um, He doesn't reset the pocket. And that's part of his problem in terms of run defense. When he engages with someone, it's happening at the point the tackle wants it to happen. So just needs to have better leverage. Um, What else have we got? Double teams uh, just end it for him. He's got absolutely no chance. I mean, he has a problem one-on-one sometimes when it comes to holding up against the run. You know, I said it was best than expected, but it's still not great. He gets two people on him. If he gets a tight end, he wants to chip him. He's done for. So development is required. Just a bit more experience. I mean, the guy's been playing football for four years and he's only played at college for one. So if you have a look at his production this year the 5 force fumbles the 11 sacks in in his first college year of football it's exceptional what he's managed to do I do think he's coming out too early I really 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 really, really I would return to college if I was him if there's any way that he can decide to go back because I think he could do with the experience. But his Achilles injury is going to cost him millions of dollars. It already has. But if he goes back, can get a bit better on run defense, can develop his pass rush moves a little bit more, you could have him have a historic season next year. I think he would be edge two in next year's class right now. And I think that would make him more money than where he's at right now. So... I was I was surprised by the fact that he wasn't a complete liability in run defense, even though it's not great. And his past rush moves were fantastic. What have you guys seen from David Ajabo this year?
2: I feel so sorry for him. You know, I think first and foremost, what he's done this year has been nothing short of incredible. Like I say, where he's come from, not really having played. He's come in and he's made an instant impact on a team that's not really done well in recent years and taken them to the semifinals. You know, you know, within a whisker of a championship game for the whole lot. And amongst you know, alongside Hutchinson, they've been the best pass rushing pair in the entirety of college football. And for him to come in and do that is nothing short of utterly amazing. And they say he's he's so complete when it comes to his pass rush arsenal, the way he gets after the quarterback. And the most important thing is it's when he gets to the quarterback as well. It's going to say the same with math in a minute, but a lot of rushers just try and get to the quarterback and sack them but they don't think about what they're going to do when they get there. There are a select few who are able to get to him, but they're not just looking for the sack. They're looking for the ball. They're looking for the turnover. These strip sacks, the forced fumbles, these are what really change games. Sacks can help games. Forced fumbles can completely and utterly change them around. And The fact that he is thinking about how he's going for the ball as well as going for the sack and not just the sack is something that really sets him aside for me. Having said that, as I said, the injury... Is the worst thing that could happen for him because he is coming off one year of production, which in itself would be a flag for people taking him. He was playing alongside possibly the presumptive number one pick in the draft this year, which doesn't help because Aiden was taking a lot of the coverage away last year, getting the double teams. So Ajabo had it a little bit easier. I'm not demeaning anything he's done, by the way, but I'm saying, you know, if he is the number one guy there next year, he's going to have to deal with a lot more coverage than he did this season. And that's just a fact going up to the next level. And, you know, the thing he really needed was his health. You know, if you have a clean bill of health, that will help you the most coming off just one season of production. And now to lose that to such a serious injury will then only intensify these calls that he's not got the production the longevity and you know the experience as an edge one doing it on his own that's going to make him struggle. And in such a such a class as well where there's a lot of good edges down there, we've mentioned them, Thomas, Maffei, Enegbare, all these guys in there who are now probably going to go above him unless someone really sees something there. He could potentially lose out a lot. The first thing I said on the Discord chat was he should go back have a year, have another great year. They say the edge class ain't going to be as deep next year. You know, Will Anderson's the top guy by a long shot, not even close in that regards, but the second spot after there is is to be had. So if I was him, I'd still, I'd go back to college. You can apply for a waiver to go back and I would do it that way. I would hate to think that he's going to lose out so much this year because of an injury, which is just so unfortunate. And the reaction to it was disgusting as well. That one person went over to see if he was alright. That was completely and utterly wrong for a guy who's just had such a huge setback and is obviously in a hell of a lot of pain. For not one guy to go over and see if he's alright is terrible.
0: Yeah, especially when it's not like anyone else was running drills at that point. It's not like anyone could come out and say, oh, well, I've missed out on watching this guy. There was nothing else happening. Like, be a human being. It, it was pretty shocking to me, but yeah.
3: Ryan, any thoughts on I That's to great total mistake declaring. Like you say, he's he's not ready. He wasn't a first-round pick in my eyes before the injury. He's definitely not now. I think liability potentially in the wrong game. I, I think he's going to be a flash in the pan. I needed to see that second year because I think he had it very easy having Hutchinson on the other side. If he'd had a nobody on the other side drawing absolutely no attention... Do I think he puts up these eye numbers? Maybe, but I'm going to lean towards maybe not. I think he's very good, but I think he was the benefactor of, like, I say, so much attention. So I agree. Like, I say, he needs to apply, uh, like, I say, declaring now he's going to to go through a long process of dropping out of the draft if he can get back to college. It, it, it might not be easy, but I think he does need another year. Like, I say, he needs to refine the skills, he needs to work on the run support as well. Like I say, and he needs to. Say boost the arsenal at the next level. You can't rely on the spin move because you cannot be turning your back to the quarterback, like say offensive pro tackles, like say, well, they'll gobble that up. So that won't always work like it does now then. So, but I think he's got everything he needs. He just, it's not worth dropping to the middle of the late second. Now, just go back to college. I think I do agree. Like you say the money and he needs the, uh, you could do with refining and sharpening the tools as well.
0: It's quite funny actually, but as we've been talking about him, not in terms of his physical stature, but Charles Harris comes to mind. Someone who pretty much just has a spin move, and he was told not to do it at the NFL, and suddenly his sacks dried up. And then we just let him do what he wanted last year, and the spin moves really paid off for Charles, getting seven and a half sacks, which was, you know, as much as he'd had in his entire career before. But Charles Harris was very raw coming out. a board, You know, a borderline first-round pick based solely off his athleticism. And Jabo, very athletic. You know, he has a, a 9.35 RAS score, so he's not unathletic. Um, it, you know, they don't look like the same person in terms of physical stature. That's not what I mean. But just in terms of what we were saying about his arsenal of moves and, and his speed and, and why you are drafting him, it's similar to me. Anyway... We'll move on to our next one, which is an looking at Boy Math of Minnesota.
2: Um, so yeah, the the Boy Wonder himself, Luke G's favorite, well, second favorite edge prospect in this draft after Carl Aftis along with myself, he he absolutely loves this guy, and to be fair. I'm quite high on him as well. Um. So, yeah, Boy Mafe, he's a defensive end from the Minnesota Gophers. He's been there four years, 6'4", 265 pounds. He is a big dude who can move. His 2021, he had 34 tackles, 10 tackles for a loss, totaling 48 yards, a loss, seven sacks, totaling 41 yards, a loss, he had a forced fumble and three quarterback hits. Um. People may know him more from the senior bowl um, after the season ended. He was the defensive MVP in that one. Got himself three tackles for loss, two sacks and a forced fumble. He made life absolutely hell for the offensive linemen opposite him, including Zion Johnson, who's one of the best guards in the draft. He had a field day against him. Um, and you may also know him from, the, from his RAS score. Math Bomb gave him a 10. This is just how athletically gifted this guy is here, amongst one of many other things. He ran his 40 in 4.53 seconds. And if you're wondering what the comparison is there for a defensive end, they usually run it in about 4.8. So he is a full three-tenths of a second quicker. This dude is a damn quick linebacker. So I refer to him as the quarterback hunter. I do this because of of the way he goes about his game. So in essence, he's a, he's a very high-ceiling project, Maffei is. He's hidden in a sea of edge talent this year. I've mentioned guys out there already. You've got your Thomases, your Enegbares, your There's so many guys in there. This guy's a real high-ceiling project. The most, you know, when you're watching tape on him, and I, I would implore you to do so if you want to get to know some of these other edge prospects out there, the first thing that pops up about him is his pursuit and closing speed. It is better than maybe anyone else in terms of edge prospect in this draft. So you will see plays where he will get beaten by a tackle occasionally. He will get forced outside. However, he will not give up on the play. If the pocket collapses, if a quarterback tries to escape, if he tries to go on a a designated run, he will chase them down. He will hunt them down and he will catch them. There was a game when they were playing Georgia Southern and the left tackle sort of knocked him way behind the line of scrimmage. And the quarterback took off. It must have been about six or seven yards in front of him already at half speed. And Maffei had caught him by the time he reached the line of scrimmage. He was that quick about it. And you see that multiple times when you're watching his footage. And he's also got the speed to chase running backs to the perimeter, which is rare for an edge. Usually, if a, guy, if a running back can get right to the edge, he will get round him. But you can see on tape that he can stick with them, hence the 453-40 that he ran. The speed there is just something incredible for him and is what teams are going to love about him. In terms of his pass rush, so, you know, his burst off the line of scrimmage is really good. And you can see him using a variety of moves. You can see him ripping, sweeping, lifting, using the leverage to get, you know, to win his one-on-one battles there and his speed rush, like I've said, the speed he carries, once he wins, he's at the quarterback very quickly. So, you know, that is a great asset of his game there. His length and his reach. So he's got an 81 and a half inch wingspan, which is quite big for a defensive end there. That helps him to wrap up the quarterbacks, even if he overshoots it a bit or he's pushed a little bit further outside, he can reach and grab them. There's a game against, I think it's Northwestern, when they're playing, that was this season, and the left tackle pulls him well out of re- out, out of the way of the quarterback, and yet he's able to grab the quarterback with one arm, and he brings him down with one arm. That's the sort of strength he's got. He should he has no right making a play there because he's been pushed out the game or so. You're thinking he just sticks his mitt out and just brings him down with one. Literally takes him all the way down. Doesn't even take another guy to do it. It's something you know to behold about him. But as I mentioned with the Jarbo just there, the other thing that really stands out with him and what people really going to like it's it's not he's not just thinking about getting the sack it's what he does when he gets to the ball he every time you see him sack someone he's after the ball he's trying to knock it out he's trying to create turnovers and over his career he's done it quite a few times he's got the forced fumbles he's got the fumble recoveries in there and that's something you don't see from a lot of guys like i say a sack yeah that's okay to get in a game a force fumble and a turnover is huge and you want to see your edges doing that you don't want them to just think about getting to the quarterback trying to get the sack trying to get the stack you want to see them trying to make game-changing plays and he absolutely does that for me so again I love that about him and another thing is his versatility you know the Minnesota defense he's been asked to do a lot there so he can drop down into coverage especially on a lot of the third and longs, they'll have him drop into coverage and he's actually surprisingly good in coverage. You'll be able to see him break up a few passes in there. Um, you can bounce him off the backside to crash down him into run plays, get him going after that. He's also put on what they call Bobo assignments. That's the, that's the big on big when it comes to the running back. So if you've got a running back in who's a you know, big fella, he will specifically be tasked with bringing him down rather than putting a smaller size linebacker or whatever, he'll drop in. And when the running back comes through, he'll be the one who's responsible for taking him down. It's a very specific assignment, but something you do need in there as well. And as, he, as he's advertised, he also rushes off the edge. So this is a guy who you can do multiple things within multiple schemes. You know, he has all the makings to be a three down backer and maybe more there. Now, when it comes just to things to work on, um, Is block disengagement when it comes to the run game you do notice that they are run on quite a lot in Minnesota it's the ability to get to the edge and you know seal that properly and he sometimes does have issues getting off those blocks but really the big thing for him is just consistency you can see all the athletic all the athletic tools you can see all the techniques required all you need to do is see them a little bit more regularly so if he lands on the team which is allows him to do that, starts him as a situational guy. He'll very quickly become a starter. He's more like he's, he's a developmental starter for you, really. But, you know, in the right system, he'll really come on for you in leaps and bounds very quickly. And like I say, you can do a lot with him. So, you know, that's that's everything there in terms of, boy, for me, um, I really like him. Again, I like that he's got all the fundamentals in his game, the techniques, the athleticism. You can't teach that. All you can do is hone it and make sure he does it on a more consistent basis. And I am all up for picking him if he's there 32, 34. I think you're gonna get a tremendous, tremendous guy out of him. And like I say, he's got one of the highest motors going. He will not take a playoff, even if he's beaten initially, he will look to get back in the play again, which some of the other edges don't do.
0: Ryan?
3: yeah, uh, I've seen a bit of him this year because I've not watched many Golden Gophers games, but I think the fact I like about him the most is, like, he's, one, he's the most priority because he's got all the weight on him. Like I say, there's nearly 270 pounds, which is good to hear. Like I say, he plays at his NFL ready weight already. Like I say, he doesn't have to gain much, put on his frame. He's he's a monster, like I say. He plays so big. I saw him at the senior ball. He was incredibly good in the drills, like I say. As you mentioned, gave him offensive lineman Absolute nightmares. Like I say, high energy good motor doesn't need to take the players off versatility i've i don't want to get swept up in like say the raz even though it's incredibly impressive to get the 10 like say the the pretty much elites across the board he is a phenomenal athlete i'd like, say whether that's jumping explosion like say runs an incredibly quick four of someone of his size which is which is freaky good so he's the pretty much the entire package i like, say I don't know where he's going to go. He's one of those players that's very hard to predict. Someone's going to fall in love with him. So I don't know if we'll be there. If He could be the next Jason Orway. could be gone well before 32. Could go in the late 20s for all I know. So I, I, it's impossible to say, really. Because, like I said, he, he looks ready. He plays ready. And he showed all that the senior ball. So he looks like a pretty complete package so far.
0: It's a really interesting one to try and project in terms of where he's going to go, because like Ant said at the top, in a sea of edge talent this year. So is that going to depress his stock a little bit? You know, edge rush is always a premium pick. You don't want to wait for it. But if Cam Thomas is going to be there and, you know, other people are going to be around at that sort of time. Is everyone just going to wait until there's a run on them? I do wonder where he's going to go. But there's no doubt he's an electrifying player to watch on tape. His closing speed is unbelievable. Like Ant said, when he wins his rep, he's on the quarterback in a flash. Much like someone that I'm going to mention right at the bottom of the show. So that's going to be an interesting one as well. Bit of a different position. But Boye Mafe is someone I'd love to have on my team. Because I think he's going to be a problem and i think he's going to go under the radar as well you draft him i'm not sure teams are going to double him initially i think they'll learn to i think he's going to be a problem in the second half of this coming season when teams get wise to the fact that he's a problem so really interesting one to me
2: and as you know i said the weights a big thing you know you can bring him in against the power backers and he will you know be able to have a good shot at bringing them down you know especially in the league nowadays there are a lot of power backers around, and you've seen we've struggled with them over the years, tackling them, bringing them down, having that guy who can do that. And I think specifically for us, we, we, we really, really need that, as well as an edge rusher. Needs someone who can, can come and impact the run game as such. So, yeah, everything is there. It just needs development. But we know our coaches can develop players very damn well. So I would have no issues about taking him instead of a, someone who's a bit more seasoned at this moment in time because he'll, it he, he won't take long to unlock him.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, moving on to our next one. It's one of the most exciting prospects in this list. I think Chad Moomer from Wyoming. Rye, your guy.
3: Oh, yeah. Like I say, this guy can do everything Devin Lloyd can do. He's not as good as the ball skills, even against interceptions, but he's much better against the run. I think he's a much better tackler. Chad Moomer, Wyoming Cowboy. Uh, senior, so his junior year, six foot three, 239 pounds. He had one of the best years of defensive players in the country that no one talks about. Second in the nation, 142 tackles. First in the nation, solo tackles, 85 just on his own. He was the heartbeat of the defense. One and a half sacks. Now he had three interceptions and he had two of them for touchdowns. Now he's 67 yards. So he's just as good with a ball in his hands, like I'd say. He is really good at dropping in the coverage. Re- he worked out incredibly well. 27 bench reps. That was one of the leaders at most positions. He ran a 4.6340. That's uh, very respectable. 40-inch vertical and a 10.09 broad jump, which was good for a 9.79, 48th best linebacker to work out uh, out of all the 2,000. So incredible athlete. It's a He plays every down. He was a safety at three stars coming out of high school. So he plays the run incredibly well. He can drop back into coverage. I've seen him play in the slot. He can pick up tight ends and he can also rush the passer as well, which he's not asked to do very often. I think the best thing about him is he understands gap assignments. You play him at the might backer, you can trust him. He can diagnose players. He's, he's always looking at the quarterback, glancing between him and the running back. The eyes work really well. So he's able to get in lanes, but then he's also able to come downhill really hard, really fast. And he gets through holes incredibly quickly and meets running backs. He's an absolute jackhammer in the run game. say so he takes no snaps off. He'll take no players, and he sheds blocks really well. Like I say. So if anyone tries to come up, tries to get hands on him, he's able to disengage really well. And uh, he's able to use that long frame to able to, uh, pick up running backs, finish off the play. Uh, I've also seen him as well, much like Devin Lloyd, barking out orders pre-snapping in the middle. He's lining up guys. He's tapping up defensive linemen on the the ass, turning them to shift over. He's shouting at safeties. He wants to organise who's in the box and helping him who drops back. Plays special teams. He's a really well-respected player. He's incredibly experienced. I think he's going to be one of the steals of the draft. Like I said, I think he's going to be He's going to slide because people won't rate him because they say lack of competition is one of his weaknesses, which I don't think is fair. I think he could have done this on any team in the nation, not just at Wyoming. So he's incredible. Every down backer, he drops into coverage really well, comes up, shows the line, drops out. He'll come underneath. He'll jump the route. He already had two touchdowns this year, I'd say, because he gets in passing lanes. He's got big hands. He can get at their disrupt players. And he reads quarterbacks really well. So he does pretty much everything I want from a linebacker. And I think I'd be very happy if the Lions got him at 34. If we can take him somewhere in the second round, I think he'd be incredible value. Day one starter. And I think he's looking at your future Mike Backer.
0: What, what do you think his weaknesses are, if any?
3: Uh, He's probably in the wrong game. Let's say he... Does struggle through traffic. I've seen him take the odd bad angle. He's been caught with a reverse or a fake. Sometimes he thinks he sees something, but it's not there. So he does take the odd bad angle. I've seen some of the pursuits that were a bit wary. I'd say so. Sometimes the odd miss tackle or he can he can take himself out of players as well. But no, generally he reads things pretty well and diagnoses them fairly quickly.
2: And. Sorry, yeah, I mean, there's not really a lot I can add to that. I agree with Ryan. I think he's been sort of criminally disrespected this year, probably because, like he says, maybe there's some of the levels of opposition in there. But, I mean, you say that, they, they are a smaller team. They've played some big sides. they played against an Air Force side who was great this year. they played against Utah State. they played against Fresno State, who have one of the best quarterbacks in the country. You know, he, he's gone up against some tough opposition this year, and he's, he's really got the production in there. And, you know, just because he's not been at that level it you know he's, he's not the biggest team but it means it's harder to play there if anything when you're not at the big school with the big names who are coming with you there's not a lot of other guys from wyoming who are going to get drafted this year in fact he could possibly be the only one so you know people say that when it comes to malik willis all oh, the talent around him it was no good that should excuse him a lot of stuff but you know moon boomers had to deal with the same but i like him he's he's got the potential to be the three-down backer that you want purely because of his ability in the passing game and his athleticism alone. If you can make adjustments in the run game and get him to be effective in there as well, bulk him up a bit, then, you know, for the pick you're going to be spending on him, you're going to get an absolute steal out of it. So, yeah, I agree. It's, if, if, you know, you're past those first few picks for the Lions and he is still there, and you still need a linebacker, then you take him. There's no questions asked. You know, he has the potential to be that good. You know, you want these guys who are good in a multitude of situations, and you want the leadership. We need the young leadership to come through for once. Hans alone is gone, whether it's him, whether it's Lloyd. These are going to be the guys who are going to take over in the future, you know, and make sure we've got a solid linebacker course. So it needs to be one of the most critical things you look at when you're going for a linebacker this year, that leadership ability, the ability to be able to hold it down in the middle of the pitch. So I like him. He's a good player. No concerns about the level of opposition because of the level of people he's playing with as well. You know, not unhappy at the slightest if we draft him.
0: Yeah, I think the only thing for me about Moomer is that it is clear to me he's undersized on the field. That, that's the only thing that I kind of worry about with him is that he just... Looks. So, is the be Dean? Thing? Oh, I've been. I have a. So, we're gonna come on. Tom's just joining no. us, and the, the, <laughs> Dean's gonna. Hopefully, if if Tom's ready, Dean will be the next one up. But uh, um, yeah, cool. How how are you doing, Tom? You alright?
1: Good, thanks. I'm worried I'm gonna get reputation as the diva of the group because sometimes I leave early, sometimes I turn up late. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Ap- and,
2: and yet, you will get, get all the love from Pride of Detroit guys. So you know. <laughs> About <laughs> but yeah, with
0: Dean there is something, so Dean my problem with him, and we'll come on to that is his height, Whereas opposed to his size, which I think is fine for his height, but with Mooma, he's light for his height and yeah.
3: I he think He needs 10-15 Yeah, I'd say, absolutely. he's at 240, so I want him at 250-255 because I think he'll still keep the agility
0: Uh <laughs> Steve's just said on Twitch, I hope you've not been out scouting the helmet,
2: Tom. He enjoyed that one, didn't he? <laughs> he did. He did. It, um, it, it's taken the emphasis away from the ride, the hot hand one. So thank you for that.
0: <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on Chad Mooma just quickly before we move on to Nakobe Dean?
1: Not really. I mean, I'll be honest. Mooma, for one of the guys who's very buzzy, especially around Lions fans, he's not someone I've watched a huge amount of. Um, So I don't have much to add, to be honest. I was amazed he was 240, if that's what he weighs currently, because he definitely doesn't play like it. Um, But I can't add a huge amount other than, obviously, exciting athletic potential, uh, lots of promise versus the past, but you'd worry about uh, by just dropping him in there now. Um, A lot lot of these guys, though, um, with the exception of Lloyd and probably Dean, you're not really going to expect big contributions year one anyway. A lot of them have traits, but um, there's definitely some work that first year, whether it's in the weight room or, or just coaching, really. All
0: right. Let's move on to Nakobe Dean then, Tom, your guy.
1: All right. Um, so Nakobe Dean um, out of Georgia. 5'11", 229 measured in. He didn't run at the Combine. and didn't run at his pro date either. Um, he's recovering from a pec strain apparently. So I believe he's planning to do drills mid-April, which I think will be really interesting because we'll come on some of the things. I mean, obviously I just said his size. Um, he, with that size, he's going to need to test really well. Um, I think he's expected to test pretty well, but we'll just need to, need to wait and see. So um, PFF grade of 91.9 in uh 2021 which is pretty damn good um that being said is that is back raised the year the two years before i don't have them to hand but i think in 2020 it was 60 something like low 60s and low 70s in 2019 so he hasn't been a perfect prospect the whole way through um last year 72 tackles six sacks uh two forced fumbles two interceptions uh Butkus award winner um clearly regarded as one of the top two linebackers in football along with devon lloyd Uh, last year so strength I think the one thing that really comes up is he's always around the ball that kind of play to the whistle cliche is so apparent with him because he does but he's always at the ball whether he actually directly impacts the play or he's just there at the end and I don't think I can remember seeing a linebacker who is who does that more if that makes sense and good ideas to play in terms of diagnosing plays, shooting gaps when he makes the the read um, he does show impressive sideline range. All the Georgia linebackers do. Um, but I think when you see him on the field with Quay Walker, Channing Tindall, who will come to, guys who you know tested really, really well, the fact that he doesn't look a bit sluggish at the sideline or anything like that gives me confidence he's going to test really nicely. as Well, he's a true field general. Um, I mean that in all sense of the word in terms of emotional leader, but completely in control of everything that's going on in the field. Um, there was a a alignment, I can't remember who the game was against, but they basically put four receivers out wide and Channing Tindall's next to him. And you can see just like panic in his face. His helmet's going all over the place, doesn't know what to do. And Dean is immediately in control of that situation. Tells Tindall to flex out wide. You can just tell he's so at peace with everything that's happening on the field. Um, Smaller frame, which yes, we'll come to, but he's very effective at navigating traffic. And slipping linemen. So actually it's an advantage in that sense, if you think about it. Um and where I think maybe the best thing in his game, which really surprised me to be honest, is how dangerous he is as a blitzer. So he often gets through to the to the quarterback in terms of shooting gaps and things, but he can also bend for a small guy. Um and he's clearly got that kind of explosiveness to go and impact the passing game uh by blitzing the quarterback. And when I was watching it, I was kind of trying to rationalise it, I guess. It's almost like when we've talked about if you're a running back and you're 5'9", it's easier to slip through gaps than if you're 6'3". And that's what almost comes across when you see Dean on the field as well. Um, Fills the hole with power when he comes downfield. He's obviously not the most physical guy. I think he plays to his size, maybe bigger than his size, but he's not the most physical guy. Um, In coverage, really good zone eyes when dropping into coverage. So spatial awareness of what's there. And like, finally, you just you love his hustle and energy. I was almost like, kind of player comparison, which isn't a player, Sonic the Hedgehog, and that you kind of see his legs (laughs) whirring away and he just goes at everything. Um, But you kind of fall in love watching it because it's just constant, um, constant energy. So Lots of good um, weaknesses-wise. I mean, size is a concern. There's no other way about it. And um, especially because I see his play style as more of a Mike linebacker, even though I think at the NFL level he will probably play more weak side linebacker. Um, the size is probably more of a concern. Um, and for I think you touched on it earlier. It's not even that he doesn't play to his size. It's actually more length if anything. So it's wingspan when it comes to tackling and things like that. So he's a good tackler, but it shows up that sometimes he doesn't have the tackle radius of some of the guys around them and he can, he can slip off tackles as a result. And he doesn't have perfect instincts. So I haven't really seen this much, but with undersized linebackers, you get comparisons to Ray Lewis and things like that. Now, Ray Lewis was such an incredibly instinctual pair. Um, Dean isn't that so he's really good at recognizing players but, but plays but he's not perfect and he doesn't have insane instincts he does get things wrong um he can struggle to disengage blocks which again you'd expect for someone with his size and length um within zone he gets very high in his pedal that's being a bit picky for linebackers but again a smaller guy you'd want him to stay a little lower to the floor he kind of pops up out of it um, and while I think he's effective in zone coverage, I worry about him more in man. Um, again, partly size, but he doesn't move that well when he tries to match up against, say, a tight end. If it's a running back releasing to the flat, he's good at that. But if it's a tight end coming down the field, I'd worry about how, we, how he would do that at the NFL level. So, yeah. Um, I see more of a physical player, but names you see quite a lot are Levante David, Thomas Davis, these kind of undersized guys, you Willbacker. Um, They were really more safety converts to linebacker, which Dean isn't. Um, I see more someone like a Devin Bush coming out of Michigan. So, undersized guy. Devin Bush could fly. Obviously, it hasn't translated to the NFL and he struggled with injuries, but I see more that style of player. Um, I think there's a chance he falls to the end of the first. Again, it will probably depend on some of the testing he has in mid-April, but I'd personally be very happy with him ending up a Lion, but not earlier than 32. He's not the kind of guy I'd want to go get. If he falls into our lap, I think there's definitely a discussion to be made. Um, But I think his success, if he did come to the Lions, especially early, would depend more on the Lions D-line occupying guys up front. So if you think about last year, um, if you have Lee McNeil and guys who are more physical front, like something, great. But you saw people like Levi and Nick Williams at the time just get washed out the line, allowing other O-line to get to the second level and they will just eat Nakobe Dean up. If you can get guys to occupy um, the O-line, especially with four men up front, and you just kind of give Dean space to come down and make plays, I think he can, he can be a star. What
0: about the rest of you guys? What have you seen from Dean?
3: No, I agree. Like that's another reason I worry about him to the Lions. Let's like, say there are times where the defensive line was pushed about a little bit, was bullied a little bit. Let's like, say at that second level, he, if he saw someone like Sewell running at him, or someone likes to get to the second level, like I think he'd have a he'd have a fit. Like say he would be he would be worried that he would get swept and taken out of the play. So if someone like say that's a bit like a bit of a dynamo, a bit of a pocket rocket wants to come through the hole, wants to meet someone in the gap. So he's got to have someone in front of him that he trusts. That's obviously, let's say, the height and the the lack of uh, strength that he's able to uh, hold his own in those matchups. If he does fall to us at 32-34, I'd have absolutely no problem taking him either. I agree that he's not someone that I'm willing to sell the house for and go up and get. Let's say I'd rather just see how the the chips fall, as it were. I think he benefited from that. Fantastic guy in front of him. So I think there's a lot there to like, a lot there to work with, but he does need a bit of a supporting cast around him. So not everyone can offer him that. that I think he's someone that's got a lot to offer at the next level.
2: Yeah, I mean, can't really add more to that completely thorough examination of him there. He's I think he's going to be a hell of a player. Um in the league. Obviously, he's coming from one of the most feared defenses, one of the best defenses that's played in college football ever. You know, that's just how good these guys are who are coming from this system. So, absolutely, if, if, if he's there at a pick at 32 or 34, then I think you go in for him straight away. I think the only thing for him with me is, you know, obviously him and Lloyd are the two big guys at linebacker, and my preference is Lloyd. But outside of that, there's very little I can say um, that I wouldn't draft him. He worries me. He worries me quite a bit.
0: He's someone who is going to be one of your best college linebackers of all the time, the longer that he plays. You know, if he went back, uh, he could have a spectacular year next year and you'd be talking about, you know, Hall of Fame college linebacker. But based purely on his height and his wingspan and the lack of tackle radius, as Tom alluded to earlier, I think he won't be on a lot of team sports, at least not in the first round. And I think the reason for that will be When you're up against NFL talent day in and day out, people who, you know, against running backs have this, you know, elite sidestep, you know, can juke out of the way of some of these tacklers. You know, some of the guys with much bigger wingspans have trouble bringing down someone like, um, oh, I don't know why I said someone like, and then I can't remember, Javante Williams, for example. You know, can you imagine Dean versus Williams? It's just going to be a mismatch. So, there's going to be lots of players like that that he's going to have trouble with. But also, because of his size, and even though he plays stronger than his size, going up against a Derrick Henry is also going to be a problem. So, you can potentially see mismatches against a lot of different players. You know, it's not like he's just going to have a weakness against one style of player, so you just avoid that matchup. But people will be able to create plans for him to expose what he can do at the NFL level and I wonder if he's ever going to translate. So I'm uncomfortable pretty much taking him anywhere. I think he can do very well and I think someone is going to get a steal from him but equally I kind of don't want it to be us because I just worry that he's going to fizzle out. That's my fear.
1: I can completely see it as well. I mean, I was really high on Devin Bush coming out a few years ago um and that hasn't worked and yeah there's injuries to deal with too but it just hasn't shown up on the field and there's probably well there is a reason why you don't see lots of sub six foot linebackers succeed and the ones that do are really those more traditional safety types really who are more the kind of linebacker safety hybrid so there's definitely a risk profile there um at the same time there are there is so much good in there as a player but if it does click and it turns out not to be as much of a concern, then he could be a real star. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely more more risk.
0: All right. We'll move on to Damone Clark, or Damone, as I call him, uh, from LSU. Sorry, that's a terrible one. Um Outside linebacker from uh, LSU, he has played number 35 and 18 senior coming out, although he's still only 21 years old. Birthday in June 2000, so he will be 22 shortly after the draft. Ras score of 9.85. So again, you're talking elite talent when it comes to all of these positions. I mean, it is startling to me how many of these guys this year are above a 9.8 and 9.7 in terms of round scoring. it's a, an elite year for elite athletes. Um, ran the 40 yard dash in a 4.57 but what was really impressive was this 10 yard split 1.55, which is really really good. Also elite explosions so 36 and a half and 107 broad. Um, the guy though is only six foot six foot two and a half. And 239 pounds, which is both shorter and smaller than people thought he was, um, as his attributed college weight and height. Only a little bit, but it was one of those where you'd like him to have been dead on the money, and he wasn't. Uh, I watched two games of his, so Alabama and UCLA, both in this year. LSU didn't have a good year, if you haven't been following college. I think they lost that UCLA game narrowly, and it was a big shock early on in this year, and then obviously Alabama the powerhouses that they are, but in the Bama game, so in the sort of profiles, draft profiles, you told this is a Will linebacker. You saw him play at Mike or at Will or off, blitzing off the edge. I thought he looked equally adept at all of those positions, and I can actually see him being a Mike linebacker in the NFL, so perhaps differing from some of the draft there. I do think that he has a potential to do that, and I'll come on to that in a minute. Um, very, very willing to come downhill and take on blocks, but it isn't his strong suit. He's enthusiastic with it, shall we say, as opposed to um, productive. He is very, very impressive at getting his tackles for life. I didn't go through his number of games, what, so I'll say that. 36 games, 249 tackles, 120 solo, 23 tackles for loss, including 10 sacks, an interception, Four passes defended, a fumble recovery, and two force fumbles. So, lots and lots of accumulated tackles there. Leader of the defence this season actually came on leaps and bounds in 2021 compared to 2020, which is why I wanted to have a look at his most recent tape. Um, But yeah, tackles for a loss is really where he excels. So, his ability to diagnose plays, and when he's confident in his read, go and get it, is really, really good. So, you'll see him slip through A and B gaps. When he decides he's going to do it, with relative ease, so beats blockers to the line, makes up, uh, makes the tackles, wraps really nicely. So you know he's um, got a good tackle radius, and he doesn't let people go when he's got them. Uh, intelligence is really good. So when you see him kind of spy quarterbacks, which is actually quite good you'll see a quarterback rolling out one way, and then when he's flushed out because of an edge defender actually coming out that way and rolling back the other way, he's not over-pursuing, he's sticking with him and is able to turn quickly and pursue. That said, when you're talking about his side-to-side um, agility, he can do that for quarterbacks, and he's not over-pursuing that way, but when it comes to, say, crossing routes underneath and matching up with quarterbacks in Ibti, in wide receivers in man. His hips aren't as fluid as you'd hope they would be. It's not a liability by any means, but he can find himself a step behind sometimes if someone, like, especially if someone goes in and then out. That's kind of a problem for him. Also, that causes a problem when he's faced with counter running against the run. So any sort of misdirection causes him a little bit of a problem. The other problem I have with him is that I said before that when he does diagnose his play and his confidence really goes and gets it and that's why he has lots of tackles for a loss. But he hesitates a lot. And one of the biggest weaknesses in his game is that if he's at the goal, I said this to Ant before we came on, if he's at the goal line, in goal line defense, and he knows if I don't make a play straight away, it's going to be a touchdown. He goes on instinct and he's very effective. You put him in centre field, when there's lots of room, and it's like in his head, he goes, I don't have to make a decision immediately here. And it puts him a half a step behind people. And then his instinct looks to be normally correct, so I think he's actually very good at working out what's going on. But there's something in him which is kind of stopping him following his read. And so he's a half a step behind a wide receiver, half a step behind a running back, and it's a problem, especially when it comes to run defense. Taking on blocks when the offensive lineman is getting in front of him and is set is a real problem. So it's, it's a problem in coverage. It's a problem in the run defense. And he's got to sort that out. Having said that, there's other bits and pieces that I really, really like. So he gives 100% with every play. When he's beat on a play, when a pass goes behind him, he's the one working back to the ball. There's a really good instance against Alabama about halfway through the game. I think it's that. No, it wasn't Alabama. It's UCLA. um, Where the pass is way over his head. It's about 20 yards to the left and behind him. But he's the guy that's actually working back. And although it ends up in a 70-odd yard touchdown, he's the guy making the tackle at the goal line a despairing leap. You know, the guy has athleticism and it shows because the motor just goes and goes and goes. So that's Something I want to see, like the effort doesn't stop, and I really like that. When he does get to the quarterback, like I said, he wraps up really well with tackling, and so that translates to the sack game as well. Uh, Against Alabama, there's one super impressive play. So beats his man on the line, straight through the middle. It's a read option for Bryce Young, and (laughs) he decides to keep it. But Clark blows up the running back on the option, and then blows up Bryce Young as well. He manages to take both of them. So, like, I love that. Just a really, really impressive play. Um, uh, I said about the goal line play, so there's another one against Alabama. Manned up at off-ball linebacker against the running back and just sees the play develop and goes and blows up the running back as the last man before he can get through. So the gap's been created by the O-line, and he's there to to make the stop. Um When you have a look at him, he's got a sort of prototypical build for a linebacker. Like, he's exactly what I'd like to see. I don't want him to put on any more weight, particularly. He looks agile. But he looks less strong than he should. And I think that, again, comes down to the instinct, because he's not set when he's actually engaging. He's played nickel corner, so he's got some sort of versatility there as well. Can do that. I think he could also move back to safety, actually. Um, I think he has a versatility to do that. Keeps good gap discipline. Um... He can see players develop. He'll see his other guys take on the offensive lineman. and then he'll hit his gap as the running back's coming through it. He's often set up against the, the running back in man defense. Um, seems equally adept in man, or I say equally adept in man or zone, but I did just say that he has problems sometimes matching up in man. It's one of those things that, like, he doesn't seem worse in either, if that makes any sense. I, I kind of hate putting it like that, but but there we go. Um... That's pretty much all I have for Damone. He's someone who, coming in and and how excited um, Ashley has been for him at drafting him wherever he might fall, but Clark could fall somewhere between middle of the second, and I really think he could go middle of the fourth. There's such a wide range on him, because I think some people are going to see his hesitation and think that they can't fix that, because... You trust yourself or you don't. And it's really hard to teach instinct. And like I think he can diagnose it, but he doesn't trust himself. Um, so I wonder how far he might fall. But someone is going to get a very, very good linebacker. And he does have history with our own coach, Shep, who's now the inside linebacker's coach at the Lions. So I think he'd be a really interesting pick for us. What about you guys? What have you seen from Demone Clark?
3: From what I've seen of all the backers we've mentioned so far, the ones we're going to mention, he looks one of the most comfortable with the ball behind him. Uh, there's a lot of guys out there that like to keep everyone in front of him, but when he does go behind him, when he has to flip the hips, like say when he has to turn on the burners, he gives maximum effort. Like I say he's got that like, good pursuit, and he's a finisher. Like I say he wraps up, he gets the fingers locked, he goes for legs and waits for support. He don't let guys get away from him, which is really good. Like I say he's solid, back. That's it. It's the hesitation that's the issue. At the next level, if he thinks or doubts himself for that half a second, he could very well get burned. He could give up the touchdown. It will get exposed and it will it will be highlighted on tape very quickly. So he just needs to sometimes just say, I'm going to do this and just go haul ass. If you're going to get it wrong, at least get it wrong spectacular. Give 100%, like you say. Because if, he, if he's going to diddle about or if he's going to try and stun or stop at the line and try... That patient route, like you say, he's going to end up getting caught out. So it's better to do something wrong, I think, at 100 miles an hour, and at least try to affect the player.
2: No, no, he's, he's he's a bit of a conundrum to me. You know, he's a team captain at LSU. You know, his jersey number, I think he plays 18. It's one given specifically to a guy on the team who has high character development traits in there. It's a very special jersey. It's only handed out to some of the best there. But. Then you see the leadership on the field isn't there. Like you say, the confidence in himself, you know, the decision-making, the organisation is sometimes a lacking. And you think, you know, you would expect to see that from him. So, you know, the fact that we're talking about him in the sec- you know, the third round, probably, I reckon for him is just like, it, it. it's a little bit of a quandary for me as to why, you know, this guy at such a prestigious school holds it there. But the leadership is a bit of an issue. But outside of that, I say that there are traits to like. He is coming from a storied college, known for developing NFL talent. So the coaching's gonna have been there. Maybe he just needs to find a scheme where he's gonna be a bit more comfortable. Obviously, LSU lost so much talent the first year he came in. He came in just after obviously Borough got drafted. The NFL draft ruined LSU. He's come into a very hard situation there. And he's done very very well for the most part of it. So you know, maybe coming somewhere a bit more settled with good guys around him, you'll you'll find his true calling as it were. So yeah, polarizing. And you know, I think there's a, a lot a lot of much better options out there for us for now. So it's not really high on my draft board. But like I said, if he lands in the right system, he will be a good player for somebody.
1: Yeah, if you get, I mean, he wore number 18, which so at LSU, the numbers have different meanings or some of them do. So seven traditionally has been the kind of the best player, so to speak. Um, 18 is normally given to the guy who best represents LSU. So like Tradavius White has worn it previously. And it's, it's one of those kind of, one of those numbers for guys to look up to. Um, so it's impressive that he was given that honour. Um, I haven't watched any of him before this year. But I think you touched on it and that there's a tool that it, nothing really clicked until this year. And when it does click, and you mentioned the Bama game, you, you, I, I see kind of like whiffs of Fred Warner or someone like that, because when it does click, it can be really, really good. And there's so many tools there. It's a gamble, right? And the good, the good news and the way I feel, if we draft him, I'm going to be really excited because we've had the time with him at the senior bowl. And therefore, we have the inside track on feeling whether we think he's going to take to the coaching, whether we think he's going to be able to pick this stuff up, and whether we're confident that he can get past some of those, um, I guess, lack of willingness to pull the trigger sometimes. Because you're right, when he does have that, he's fantastic. And it's not like a guy who I watch and I'm like, he doesn't know what he's looking at. I think he does, and he over-processes. So actually, it's trying to almost come out of his head more than with some guys, you're like... I don't think you're ever going to get this. I don't have that concern with him. It's just whether he can switch that side off. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's definitely questions. But, again, Lions and and Jets to a degree are best placed to to see if they think he'll be able to answer them at the NFL level.
0: Yeah, I just think he's worried. I think he's just worried to be wrong. I, Mm -hmm. I don't think he wants to be wrong. And by doing so, he ensures that he is and just want him to risk being wrong to get it right. That's the biggest. Play
2: thing. it very well at this level. Yeah, you've absolutely. got to be ultimately sure in what you're doing every play. And you've got to have the confidence to back it up. Especially us. You know, if if you're coming here, we need a guy who is assured and confident, who has leadership. We have missed that for so long, and if you're picking high on one, you've got to have all those.
0: Yeah, Ash has just said in the Twitch chat. Not only is Shep a coaching connection, but Damone Clark has said before that Shep is like an older brother to him there is definitely a big personal connection there so i do think it's someone that the lions are going to have higher on their board just for that i don't think i think that shep is really carried in high regard at the lions and if he feels similarly you know i don't see shep attaching himself to someone that he believes has low character and the fact that he was given this jersey as we both we've all talked about is going to be a reason why they'll want to take so I think he'll be higher on our board than he will elsewhere. So it will be interesting to see exactly how high he goes. He'd be an option for me at 66, I think. I would think about him there. Okay, going to move back to Tom, I think, and get your second one in. Channing Tindall, if you're ready to go with that.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Um, so Channing Tyndall 6'2", 230 pounds. Uh, again, was on the Lions senior bowl roster. So the Lions have taken a a good, up close and personal look at him. Um, 2021 PFF grade of 85.4, so really impressive there. 67 tackles, five and a half sacks, one forced fumble. Um, And I know we talk about uh, RAS scores a lot for these linebackers, but a RAS score of 9.65. Which seems to lose its meaning when all of these guys test so well, but again, an incredible, incredible athlete, and especially at his size, which is slightly undersized. Um, obviously, to have that, uh, to have that score is is fantastic. So, strength-wise, um, elite sideline sideline guy in terms of his speed and explosion. So he can fly around a four four seven forty with a one point five to ten yard split, which is. Rapido, um, and he had a vertical of 42 inches, which is the highest ever recorded for a linebacker at the Combine. So um, in terms of speed and explosion, it is there. Um, And when this translates, it it really comes through. So he's a violent tackler. He looks to bury people in the run game. When he gets it right and he puts that athleticism on the field, um, it's impressive to watch. He's got consistent technique too in the run game. So he's not just the guy who kind of runs around hair on fire and misses a load of tackles as a result. He's got a really solid uh, missed tackle rate um, and he's consistent, consistently making tackles as well. Closes on ball carriers in an instant given that burst and that really comes through. Again, that's one of those times when you do see that athleticism. And when he is on the field, so it's worth noting that he wasn't starter for Georgia. Um, he played behind N'Kobe Dean, but also behind uh, Quay Walker, um, and that's him as a senior as well. So he didn't get on the field much. When he did, um, he impacted the game. So his his stats are better than Walker's, and almost at Nakobe Dean's level, which, considering he didn't play the same number of slaps in, um, in snaps. sorry, uh, number of tackles, he's only a few off sacks. He's I think half a sack off Dean. He is impacting the play when he's on it. Love the fact he had his best game in the national championship. Um, I like guys who turn up on the big stage Um, and whilst not glamorous and exciting, he has really elite special teams potential. Um, And so if he's a guy who doesn't necessarily translate as a kind of hundred percent snap linebacker and you end up getting him in the third or fourth round, he can play all phases of special teams and has the potential to be a kind of league leading guy, especially with that athleticism. So weaknesses, um, in terms of his eyes, he's not as disciplined as Dean, but also as Walker. Um, and he's definitely more raw in terms of his general recognition. There are times where he looks lost on the field. Um, he doesn't recognise the play. He doesn't really know what's going on. There was one play out to the sideline on his side where the running back has bounced outside and he's really slow seeing that and then working to it to the point where Kobe Dean coming from the other side is almost on his toes because he's already made the read and is trying to scrape across. Um, Tindall actually, it's one of his few missed tackles that I saw because of that slow um, recognition, the running back gets the corner on him and then stiff arms and down because he's not in position to make a tackle even with athleticism and burst. So you see that come through. Basically, his his general field awareness just isn't there. So, yes, play recognition, but also when you see him in coverage, he doesn't have that same kind of spatial awareness sense as the other Georgia guys, for example, and other linebackers in this class. He can sometimes just lose his responsibilities. Um, And again, for for a fourth-year guy or a senior, that's slightly more concerning. And then, given his athleticism, he does not excel in coverage. He was a guy I was expecting to watch and think, okay, he's either raw or he's not perfect, but... In coverage, he's a beast because of that speed. It just doesn't really show up for me, um, which, again, is a concern for a guy that you might be spending a, a late two on or something like that. Um, not as effective at getting off blocks. Again, he is a little undersized and he doesn't use that same violence he does when he's tackling to actually get off blocks when O-line get their hands on him. Don't see the same motor as or Walker. So yes, he can fly, but it's a little bit more like Stasical at times in the plays. Um, and as I mentioned, it's taken a long time for him to actually get these reps. Admittedly, a lot of competition at Georgia, but um, the fact he's a senior and the fact he's still playing behind Cray Walker, I think is interesting. So final thoughts, he's slightly undersized, and I don't think he plays bigger than that undersized size versus like N'Kobe Dean, who I think does to a degree. Um, a lot will come down to the Lions and how they feel like he took to coaching. Um, he's an immediate special teams um, contributor. I'd question, sorry, how much he's going to contribute on defence year one, potentially even past that. Uh, so for me, I have him more in that kind of fringe day two, day three guy. Uh, I would not want to be taking him personally um, at the top of the third, maybe that comp pick in, in the bottom of the third, but I just think there's other guys I would like more.
0: Ryan, Ant, any thoughts?
3: It- I've got to agree. Like I said, the longer the play takes to develop, I feel like he'd say he switches off. Like I say there's a lack of concentration or there's a lack of awareness where he's around him. When he's out in open field and there's green green grass all around him, that's not where you want him. Like I said, I want him to keep him in the box. I want him diagnosing stuff quickly because he's a he's short burst in covering limited ground in a very quick. He can make up for those mistakes. But when everything gets stretched and washed outside, like I say, he will get exposed and you will see that lack of recognition on players. So he's definitely got the say, the, uh, the kickoff and the, the punt protection, the special teams down. Like I say, he'll be an ace on that side. Whether or not he can work himself into a, a long-term role or not, he could be, like in say, another JRM. Could be like, say, one of those long-term projects that offers something on the other sides of the ball, but never never really cracks it on defense. So, he's definitely going to be a day two to day three pick, I think.
2: I can't really have much more. Um, he's probably the guy out of this who I've been able to study the least. So, I'll leave it to the ones who've actually seen him. I mean,
0: so I've watched a little bit today of him. And I wonder whether there's something of the sort of Derek Barnes to him in the good athlete, slightly undersized, very fast, and just needs a little bit of time to develop, but potentially he could be some sort of like stunt edge rusher or something, because that athleticism shows up His closing speed's excellent. When he wins at the line, he's on the quarterback in a flash. Like, that's why he has the number of sacks that he does so as a sort of like weird designated pass rusher i could kind of see it work he's got massive hands as well i don't know why i feel compelled to say that but 10.6 in hands as a linebacker is is ridiculous um yeah i'm i'm not comfortable taking him on day 2 really but I think there's upside there like you could take him and by year 5 you're giving him a hundred million dollars like I I could see that because the tools are there but the intelligence the awareness the kind of intrinsically knowing what's happening has to come quickly for him to, to do that because it's not there right now okay so, we'll move on to our next one, and it's going to be Anne talking about someone who was mocked in the first round for a long time, but fallen a little bit since, Christian Harris out of Alabama.
2: Was he mocked in the first? I don't think, I've uh, I think maybe, maybe the like at
0: the, at the end of last year.
2: Oh, was he? Oh. Um, okay, well, that's news to me. Right, so yeah, Christian <laughs> Harris, if you watch the college football podcast, we had a list of five players um, to watch this season. Me and Ryan did. And Christian Harris was part of my five. So he's a linebacker from Alabama, the Crimson Tide. He has been there for three years now. He's 6'2", he's 232 pounds, 2021 has been very productive. Um, Unfortunately, they just lost out on the natty, but still had a good season nonetheless. 45 solo tackles, 35 assisted tackles, 51 stops at the line of scrimmage, which is important, what we'll talk about later. 26 pressures, 11 and a half tackles for loss, five and a half sacks, three passes defended and two forced fumbles. Now, the thing that immediately stands out about this guy. And the one thing to really focus on is his pedigree. So Alabama, obviously, for those who know the college, they're one of the biggest colleges in football. Nick Saban has one of the biggest dynasties going. This is not a place that you go if you're not a damn good football player. He's won a national title with them last year when they went all the way, nearly made a second one this year. And he himself, he has started there since his true freshman year. There's no red shirts. He went straight into this team and really immediately, just you know, yeah, he started, he put his will on this team straight away. Um, played several different positions before in high school. He played tight end, he played cornerback, he even played punt returner. So, for him to change position to linebacker, immediately get into the linebacker, into the linebacking group at Alabama, just shows you what sort of an athlete he is and how quickly his game has developed. And you know, you just look on from this, he's played. The Mike, position he's played will, he's also played nickel. Now, Nick Saban is a coach who does not trust easily, these are very big positions on his defense. So, for him to be able to switch between all three shows a great deal of trust in him and how he plays his game. And he's also only one of two signal callers for that defense, so he will, you know, get up there, he will get the defense organized, get them all on their assignments. These are the leadership ideals that you're looking for in here. He's probably one of the biggest and one of the best when it comes to leadership out of this linebacker group. So what sort of a player is he? Well, again, he's a guy who really does a little bit of everything, but where he really thrives is in the passing game. Now, obviously, the NFL is evolving. You're using running backs out the backfield a lot more. Tight ends are a lot more offensively minded than just the blocking these days. And where he really excels in the passing game tracking running backs, following them out the wheel routes, taking them down, breaking the passes there and running vertically with tight ends. He is a big guy. He's got a lot of functional strength behind him. So he is able to keep pace and battle and beat these kind of guys. And that's the sort of versatility you do need from your linebacker, especially, as I say, with the NFL evolving the way that it is. But not just in the past game. In the run game, he's also really good as well. Again, you've got that functional strength. You've seen 51 stops this year on the line alone. This is a guy he can shed the downfield blockers, the offensive linemen who are coming up, get to the line of scrimmage, and stop a play dead before it happens. You know, you've seen just by the amount of that there that he is able to do this really effectively. And also, when you need him to, he can rush the pressure, rush rush the passer, obviously. It does help that he's working with a lot of elite talent there on the line as well, obviously, in Will Harris, in Will Anderson, they've got one of the best players in the entirety of college football there, but still, it's versatile. He's got six sacks on the year, he's got 26 pressures. so when you want to bring him up and go after the quarterback as well, it's something that you can do with him. And like I say, just the leadership skills in there, the versatility he has when he's playing, all these little bits he can do for me, just really really make him stand out as a player. Now, obviously, there are a few issues with him. Tackling can be a little bit inconsistent at times. Leaves his feet too early, isn't able to bring down running backs when he should be able to, so you do need to work that out a little bit, but in terms of a guy who you are able to bring in, who's going to be able to offer you a versatile option straight away, this is one of the guys you're going to want to be really up there on now at the next level. You can, you can use him as a three-down backer. What you would do is you would use him as the will linebacker on the first few downs and then you would move him inside for passing plays when those running backs, when those tight ends are coming out, and you would use him in the run against the first couple. So, you know, he has the versatility. He has the ability to be a three-down backer. He has the leadership ability to be you know, a stalwart on that defense. He just needs a little bit of fine-tuning, as do all guys who are coming out of college. But I liked him at the start of the year. He had a slow start to the X. I was a bit concerned at one point, but they bounced back strongly, nearly won the lot. And he is part of the reason behind that. So yeah, I enjoy watching this kid. I'm still high on him at linebacker. Obviously he's going to be going a little bit further down the draft just because of some of the developmental work that does need to be done with him. But, as I say, in terms of his pedigree, you can't really get much better than what you've asked for here. So I, I love Christian Harris and certainly day two, I will be keeping my eye on him if we've not improved at linebacker on day one.
3: He's a
1: really interesting guy because um so similar to what Matt said, I was only aware of him at the start of the season because he was mocked as kind of the best linebacker coming back to or not coming back, but expected to be one of the best linebackers in college football, could be a mid-first rounder, etc. So when I did watch him early in the season, as you mentioned, I was kind of underwhelmed because he certainly looks the part. And I was there thinking, this is another one of these stud linebackers, he looks the part, he's going to be able to do everything really, really well. And he does everything. I just don't think he necessarily does many things like really, really well. My biggest worry with him is play recognition, to be honest. Um, but he does lots of things... Well, just not really, really well. So, I think he'll be a solid pro. I'm. Um, I, I was hoping again when I first watched him, and I haven't really watched him later in the season as much, so I'm a bit biased on this. But I was hoping for more like kind of flashy upside, which I didn't see as much. But he's a really, really good athlete, tested really, really well. Um, and like I say, if you're comfortable with how how he plays, how he recognizes plays, how you know you're going to use him, then I could see him going relatively high. Um, I could see him going in the second round with no issues.
2: I think that's fair. I, th- I think I think that's fair. Like you say, yeah. the top linebackers do have the areas where they truly excel at. Like you say, he's good, very good, but not elite in any of the specific areas. I, I think that's fair.
3: He's a jack of all trades, master of none. Kind of like that. So you're going to get a good solid pro option out of him.
1: But that does make him a lot safer. A lot of the guys we talked about today have had, like I say, real interesting traits, but then some quite glaring weaknesses. At the same time, you're gambling on. I don't think Harris is anywhere near as much of a gamble as some of the guys we've talked about so far. I'm just not sure you get quite that same explosive upside. But he does have the athleticism that could could happen.
2: Like I said, I think you've got the, you know. to to work in a system like that, to play in that, you've got to have something about you. Like I say, Nick Saban Mm -hmm. does not trust his players very easy. You have to earn your way onto that defense. To get there as a true freshman, hold your starting spot all throughout your college career, to play multiple positions there and to be entrusted to signal call on that defense. I think that shows a leadership quality there, which if you refine some of the bits around him, you could end up with a hell of a good player potentially, which is why obviously we're speaking about him in second and third round tones, but it's potential to be really, really good with that backing behind him.
0: I had a look at PFF just before I quickly took my break um, and had a look at his average draft position. As late as October the 24th, he was being mocked at 22. And he was going higher than that earlier on as well. So he has fallen a fair way in mocks. So he's currently according to PFF, at an average of 51. But he has been as low as 59. So big difference between October and now.
2: I think that's unfair, given his. I think, if anything, it was mocked too highly. And this is more the representation of where he should be. But his play has not warranted such a drop this year, I don't think. Like I say, Bama have had a decent year, all told wasn't until they came up against that Georgia side in the night where they truly, truly struggled, but apart from that they've been a great side this year, as per.
0: All right. So, next up we have Ryan's last one, Troy Anderson from Montana State.
3: Yep. Uh, they tell you, you say don't fall in love with guys, but I've gone and found one of my crushes, so when we don't get on be upset. They say, try and listen to the darling of the FCS. He led Montana State on a, a special fairy tale run to the FCS Championship, which no one saw coming. I say, you don't often see, he stands out on the field. He came in at just under six foot four, 243 pounds. I believe this is, he led the nation in tackles, I believe in 147, had 14 tackles for a loss, two sacks, two interceptions, taking one to the house for a touchdown. He had a ridiculous workout. He ran the 40 in 4.42. For a guy that size, he can shift in a straight round. Right. That is ridiculous. His vertical, not great, 36, but a solid broad jump of 10.08. That was good for a Razz of 9.98, the fifth linebacker best ever. So he is a ridiculous physical specimen. He stands out on the field when you see him because he's, he's the big guy in the middle. and. This guy, he won't be a day one starter anywhere. He is a proper project, but he could be anywhere between the fifth round, the third round. It's very hard to say. say I think he'd be great because he can do everything really well. I say he's got a big, solid frame. He covers ground very quickly. He's got a nice long stride, so he's able to make up ground when needs to be. He's able to track side to side across the field. He's got nice long arms, which excels in uh, wrapping up guys. He's a great finisher. Fantastic tackler, up in the box, works really well in the gaps, comes up and meets guys, finishes players, stops them dead there and then. But he's got the flip side where he's very well-respected dropping in the coverage. He uses his big frame really well. As he's able to pick up tight ends. You're able to put him in the slot if you want to. He's a big old slot guy. Montana State have used him all over. He's a leader. He's very well-respected on that. He's organising guys before the snap. Off the ball, he's telling guys to move around. Really high energy, large tank, doesn't want to take snaps off the field. And he also shows that flesh for patience. Like he likes to get in passing lanes. Like when players take longer to develop, he has got his eyes on the quarterback. He's reading them across the field. He's diagnosing what they're going to do. And he's able to get in those passing lanes. He gets interceptions. He's able to line up with those bigger guys. Now, what I've seen the weaknesses, when things... He knows he's really fast in a straight line, but when things get behind him, it kind of goes a bit eerie. I'd say, his hips aren't that great. It looks a bit rusty sometimes. So if people get in behind him, if he gives them a bit too much room and he's got to flip and change the other way, that's not where you want him. I'd say, he will occasionally try rely on that 40-speed, that straight line. He'll give a bit more of a cushion than he should do, and people will sneak in behind him. So you will get picked on at times, and you will get those odd balls floated over him where, He's not able to use the vert. He can't go up and disrupt the player. He's not that explosive off the ground. So he needs to trust his instincts a bit better. He needs to give smaller cushions. He needs to be a little bit more tight ship shape in that. But this guy is the FCS darling. He could be the best FCS player in the draft, potentially. Like I say, he's going to start on special teams. He's going to give you absolutely everything there. In a year or two, you could see him getting rotational and be a starter one day, maybe in years two or three. So there's a lot of value if you get him in like the fourth, fifth round. I think that Detroit, I'd really like to get him because he stands out on the field and he does everything incredibly well. And it's just, can he step up to that next level of competition? That's where I want to see it, like say, because FCS level, he's played against some really good teams, but no one he's ever faced is that good of an SBS level, so it's hard to gauge where he is against the Supreme Athletes, the slot guys, the tight ends that come out of there, just how well he lines up against those. But I think he's going to do someone really good. Like I say, he's another guy that he may never start. He may be a good rotational. He may be an excellent special teamer. Like I say, he may get that odd interception, he may come with that big play, that big goal line stop. So if you got him in like the fifth round, I think he'd be excellent value. Because I've seen him getting mocked all over. And he's someone that, I've taken a real shine, to her, so I'm I personally, I'm really hoping that we're going to have some love for him, and I think Kelvin Shepard would really like a guy like this, because it's someone he can work with, he's got everything he needs.
0: Did just have Ash in the chat say you wanted to watch some Anderson but Muted. couldn't find any... Ah. Apologies. Just saying, Ash in the in the Twitch chat was saying that he wanted to watch some Anderson tape but couldn't find any. Have any of you guys been successful in watching any of the Anderson at all?
2: Ryan was watching the FCS play. I've just watched
3: the games
1: this year. I, I've watched yeah. exactly zero reps of a of Troy Anderson, so I'm afraid I have nothing to offer.
2: Uh, I, I've seen him in the FCS players as well. I must admit, before Ryan started uh, covering them, On the college podcast, I'd I'd, I'd not heard of him, but, you know, he started doing the deep dive on the games in there and I must admit I did start watching them and I I agree with him. He's he's got fantastic potential, this guy, you know, Montana State had their quarterback walk out on them just before those FCS playoffs. I think it it was Montana State, wasn't it, right? Yeah they had the quarterback walk out on them just before the playoffs. And, you know, to be in such a tenuous situation like that, guys like him stood up and played even harder and got them through to, you know, a really unlikely final there. And they just happened to come up against the Alabama of the FCS in the final. On another day, they could easily have won the whole damn thing. And it was because of players like him, who just really stood up and played so hard in those titles. You know, like he says, he's got the potential, he's got the traits... He's got the athleticism. He's got everything you need to be able to coach him up, to be a great linebacker at the next level. And it's just who gets the hands on him and who schemes him well and how he starts off. But like Brian says, he's got, a, he's got a route into the team. He'll go in through special teams. He'll give you everything he's got there. You start playing him situationally and you will blood him into your team. And over time, hopefully you'll get a high level starter out of him and, you know, it's year on year that goes by. And more talent comes up from the FCS and more talent starts making it at the NFL level. You know, that the, the quality is getting better. The players are getting better. And, you know, he shouldn't be written off just because of where he's coming from here. So, yeah, he's, he's such an enticing prospect. Those those later rounds where you start getting your developmental guys, he's he's right at the top of the list of guys you want to be drafting back there. So, I'm really looking forward to seeing if we are able to get him because you know, he's shone at senior ball week. And we've had a good look at him first hand, so hopefully he's ruffled some feathers amongst the Lions brass.
0: Yeah, I must admit I have nothing further like Tom to to offer with him, so must apologise for that. But certainly an enticing prospect. I mean, there's no, there's not many six foot four linebackers out there. So, what well,
2: God, Falcons are giving Mariota twenty million dollars.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, that that finishes off a really, really bad week for them. Um, We were just updated, by the way, on the Watson trade, thanks to Junie in the the, um, chat on Discord. The trade has changed, so they're only getting a sixth round pick in return, and they're giving up a fourth this year in addition to everything else that's already been announced, so... Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! It's gotten worse for the Cleveland Browns. But there we go. Um, let's move on to our next one, second to last, and it's got corrected by Aunt saying Key Walker, but then Tom said Quay. I don't know what his name is, but he's from Georgia. Tom completing the trio.
1: We'll do yeah. So because I read it as Key, but I thought I heard um Quay, uh, Quay but. I mean, who knows? We'll call him Walker. Um so speaking of Mr. six <laughs> Uh speaking of six four linebackers, here he is another one. Um six, four, 241. So really, really impressive uh, frame for the position. 2021 stats, uh, 63 tackles, one and a half sacks. Um, so not as not as um exceptional in the stats department as the other two guys we talked about, to be honest. Um but he has a RAS score of, well, seemingly a disappointing 9.60 given some of the guys we talked about. But again, elite, elite athlete. Um, And the biggest area of this is uh, that kind of speed and size combo. So 6'4", 240 plus, and he ran a 4.52, which is really, really impressive. Again, it almost gets diluted this year because some of the times were crazy, but really impressive. It comes through on the field as well. So... Um, elite agility guy. His uh, three-cone time was 6.89, which is um, a 9.28 on the RAS score. It's not quite as easy as this, but you're talking about this being kind of a 93rd percentile kind of score. For a guy who is 6.4, it's super, super rare because high-cut guys, tall guys in, in general, you're not going to see that same level of agility and bend naturally. Um, but good shuttle time, elite three-cone time, and that agility does come through. Um, in terms of, uh as a tackler he's very technically sound which again is nice and you can see that these georgia guys are well coached across the board in this in this area but he really utilizes that that large tackle radius one of the things we said with the kobe dean he unfortunately doesn't have that because of that i think he has an 80 inch wingspan to go with it but super long wingspan and he's a technically proficient tackler he's really really effective in terms of getting ball carriers down um in terms of in coverage so i actually really like him in man coverage um, there's times where he's definitely not perfect and he's a little raw, but especially with that length, I like him in man. He generates a couple of pass breakups. Um, he's not super aware, but he can definitely disrupt receivers, especially when they come out, get hands on them and work them around a bit. He, he's a developing coverage guy is the way I see it. And so, yes, he can man up his tight end, especially with that size. Um, we'll come onto it in zone. I, he's not quite there, but he's kind of, he's getting there. He's definitely not a liability uh, which a lot of guys of that kind of size can be in, a, in in the passing game. So love his motor as well. I'm always a fan of guys who are top-end athletes but really play with it, not guys who are can run as fast as anything but are kind of like, yeah, I could chase that guy, but I'm not going to. The motor with Craig Walker is really up there. Um, whilst what he does isn't always perfect on the field, it's never in question he's going to give it everything. Um and whilst I guess it's almost a bit of a weakness, so he's not the most dynamic blitzer, but given his profile, and again with coaching, I think he can become a force playing up on the line. Um, with that build, you wouldn't worry about putting him on, on an edge and asking him to uh, to hold guys off. So whilst not the most dynamic guy off the edge, he's definitely, definitely a presence. Um Weaknesses wise, so again, it's tough going next to someone like the COVID Dean, but his player recognition again is slower. Um it's also he doesn't always show the patience. So uh, when we talk about when we talk about Damon Clark, for example, and sometimes overthinking things, with with Walker, I worry more that it's just his recognition can be slow at times, but then he just goes anyway. So sometimes he makes the wrong reads rather than waiting on making the right reads. It's not a it's not a massive, massive issue, but it does come through a bit. Um, and he's not always decisive then in coming downhill on the ball carrier, taking on blocks, et cetera, and doesn't always use that big frame of his. And um, he doesn't look that comfortable dropping into zone. Again, he, he's not that aware of his kind of peripherals around him. Um, I prefer him in man, which is normally the opposite of what you would expect. Um, And his athleticism doesn't always show up, to be honest. So given his incredible agility scores, elite athleticism, he doesn't look like a bad athlete by any means. And again, a reminder, he's surrounded by incredible athletes, that entire Georgia defense, which could be why. Um, But he, he doesn't. He doesn't scream crazy, rangy athlete on the field all the time. Um, he can sometimes overrun the ball carrier as well, which is quite frustrating to watch. Sometimes he just needs to be a bit more disciplined, under control, breakdown. down. Um, and as I mentioned, he does need work as a blitzer. It's very one dimensional. But I would hope that given his athleticism, you can coach that in a bit. So um it's a bit mixed, I guess, final thoughts-wise. I think he'll be a better pro than a college player. And again, he wasn't a bad college player, but I think the the potential is there. Um, the traits of tantalising, he basically just hasn't put it all together for me. So you do get glimpses of it. But for me, especially in kind of year one, he's a role guy. He's not someone that you're just going to hand the keys to the defence to, even though I could see him getting kind of, pushed up draft boards, potentially even to the first round. My hot take a few days ago before he then completely blew up his pro day was, I wouldn't be surprised if he went before N'Kobe Dean, not because he's a better player, but because of that frame, because of that athleticism, because of some of the question marks on Dean. You think of guys like when the Seahawks took Jordan Brooks a few years ago, guys that kind of late rises in the process. He's that kind of guy with a bit of versatility Um, But I think could get pushed up. So I would initially have him playing weak side like a lot of these guys. Personally, I think he probably fits more as kind of a three-man front guy, um, to be honest, where you have a bit more versatility with your linebackers. You can stand them up on the edge a bit. You can drop them into coverage. He's not a true edge rusher by any means, but he does have a little bit of flexibility there. Um, So I think other teams will prioritise him more than the Lions would. I think there's a chance he does go before we pick at 32. Either way, he's not someone I'd really have him play at that range. Um, and so if we ended up taking him in the third, fine. I just think someone else is going to take him out than that.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's pretty thorough, comprehensive review of him there. I mean, I agree with Tom. The process in is not there yet but I think for me the big problem is the lack of snaps he's had in college it was a very slow path for him through into that deal I mean he's been at Georgia what four years and I think this is really the first year where he's started a lot of games I know he saw a lot of action last year as well but he's been very slowly rotated into the lineup you can see just by how good they've been this year it's very hard place to crack you know even guys like Jermaine Johnson had to leave to find opportunities so I think that's where that comes with I think you know if he's if Tom's right and he's going to go before Dean people are going to see that they're going to see that he has the ability to he just needs the meaningful reps to be able to come in and do it I mean his leadership is big you know he calls the audibles on defense for Georgia he you know sets the pre-snap motions in there at times so you know you've got the leadership in there as well you've got the versatility say he's not the best dropping into coverage but he does play on the defensive line as well as at linebacker he has that sort of scheme versatility where you can bring him up and use him there as well so you know when when you do have that base of leadership when you've got the versatility there when you've got you've got a good year under your belt like I say this this defense was frighteningly good this year and everyone is going to benefit from that but you know they all had to be a part of it bring their own bits to the table he did so you know yeah, I agree. I think he's going to be a very good player. I think he just needs the reps to be able to develop his instinct more. And then you're going to see the complete player in his full form. It's just, you know, the risk you take of how high you place a value on the potential there, as opposed to what he is, where he is at this moment in time. I agree with Tom. I think someone's going to take him early because they can see the potential there and they can see what he is, you know, what he's going to be. It's just a matter of developing him right. But yeah, just, they have a wealth of players on that defense this year. And it was just crazy to watch them play. It was so good. And yeah, he's going to make a good player for someone just needs the right coach, the right scheme and deal blossom.
0: I have nothing further to add on, on Quay. So, Unless Tom has anything more he wants to add, we'll move on to the next one. Okay, so Brian just had to go in the middle of that last one, so thank you to him. Um, Final guy for tonight is the only guy out of this entire list on the linebacker who is actually projected properly as a Mike linebacker. Leo Chanel of the Wisconsin Badgers. Chanel, sorry. Played number 45 and number 5 for Wisconsin. He's coming out as a junior, 21 years old, born in October. So he's a bit of an older junior, will be 22 early on in the season. Posted a 9.99 RAS score. So I think that surprised a lot of people. But he had green numbers across the board. So he's six foot two and a half, 250. He benched 34 reps as a linebacker which is ridiculous but with all of that strength he still managed to do a 40 and a half inch vert and a 1008 broad which is ridiculous and then he found time to do a sub 7 3 cone at 6.98 a 4.24 short shuttle and then he also found time to run the 40 in a 453 With a 1.5-10-yard split. Like, the guy's athletic everywhere. And one of the biggest worries off the bat with Chanel is that it doesn't particularly show up in coverage. Which is a real shame. Um, Having said that, a lot of draft are saying this means he's going to be shoehorned as an early down linebacker. First and second down, and then you kind of pull him off for kind of third and longs and what have you i don't think that people should jump to that too quickly i do see the potential for an every down linebacker because he's got the tools if you're talking about tools you're talking about Tyndall and you're talking about quay and and what have you chanel can do that like from those numbers it's there but it's got to translate into game speed stuff so I looked at two of his games, one against Purdue, one against Iowa, both from this year. And I, just to say this as a habit, I try and look at what Draftonics say are someone's best and worst games, just to see the kind of range of what you might get out of this guy. Purdue was listed as his best. Iowa wasn't his worst, but I couldn't find the one listed as his worst. The game against Purdue, and Purdue were no mugs, right? They gave people a lot of problems this year on defense, not massively on offense, but he got five and a half tackles for a loss and three and a half sacks in this game. Like, he, he ruins Purdue. Um, and to start it off, you will see this guy line up at the mic and not really anywhere else, but he likes to just sit on the line in the A-gap and then blitz from there. Like, he they, they, they ran him as a blitzer an alarming amount of the time. Like, it was more than you see the Ravens blitz. It was like, he, he is going to suit the Ravens massively. I would say that now. I won't be surprised to see them take him. Um, but first play uh, that I saw against, not first play, but um, first play that comes to money as Purdue, was a really nice sack exactly in this method. So lined up in the A-gap, beat the centre and the guard through the middle, just divided them. Uh, and exploded forward to take the quarterback down at the the legs. Great suddenness. Of all the people we've talked about, he is the fastest from line to quarterback. Bar none, he is the fastest. Um, So he sacks the quarterback on that play, and then he stacks the sacks. Very next play, sack again. So this time he's actually off the ball. You can see the running back um, run from right to left as he's seeing it. He takes a step to the left just in case the, the running back takes the hand off. He doesn't, and as soon as he's seen in that half second that the quarterback has retained the ball, he explodes forward, beats his man again, um, and kind of just explodes towards the ball. He's on him in maybe one, one and a half seconds after the running back has not taken the hand off. It's, it's ridiculous how quickly he can come to the ball. Later on he got another sack, uh, this time on a flea flicker. So running back gets the ball and he's coming downhill super fast to take the running back out. When the running back chucks the ball back, he's already adjusted. He's seeing it. He's bending round the running back who's not managed to turn back in order to block him and the quarterback's got absolutely no chance. Like I cannot overemphasize how fast this guy is. He's coming downhill with ferocity all the time. And it's, he, he's so good at it that I would consider playing him on the line of scrimmage a majority of the snaps he's playing in the NFL. And I think he could do that very, very effectively. He's very intelligent. He reads things very well. He reacts in zones to screens particularly well in short passes around the lines of scrimmage. He has the side and speed to man up against tight ends. But the problem is, the quarterbacks target him, make that pass, and kind of what should be in his catch radius, given his vert, given his explosiveness, he should be able to cover it, and he just doesn't. And it's it's really worrying like how, how all of that athleticism does not translate. So I worry about some of the better tight ends in this league, that he might be a liability because you think you're going to be safe with him, and he needs... I don't know what he can change. I've been trying to think about where the weakness is in his game with this, and the weakness is the symptom, not the cause, and I'm not sure what the cause is, because he's proven he can jump, he's proven he can run, he's proven he can explode. And yet, they are completing these passes over his head in, in a catch. what should be a catchable range, so slightly confused as to why that is a potential problem for him, really um he finishes off the game with another sack off the ball um once again explodes outside the right uh, the left end who's engaged the the right tackle finishes unopposed and clinically takes down the, the quarterback and then in the, in the iowa game he shows off his ability in run defense so his ability to take on blocks and actually instead of giving ground he's forcing them back so he might be a 250-pound linebacker, but he plays bigger than that, which is, I think, strange to say for a linebacker of his size. Like, I think in him, you might be getting everything that you were kind of hoping Jared Davis would have been and just ended up not being. Because uh, Jared Davis ended up being a blitzing linebacker, right? He was big and, you know, hoped he had the intelligence, but it just something didn't quite click. And I think Chanel, Chanel can absolutely do that. Um He's slippery as well when when you know the offensive line are trying to block him, he seems to find a way, despite how big he is, from kind of slipping through people in a way that shouldn't be possible at his size. Um, I wouldn't I don't want to parrot this line because I've seen it so many times in draftnik saying, don't want to put him in coverage. I do want to put him in coverage because I want him to gain the experience there and become very good at that. Because if he can become a third down linebacker. He has the potential to be the best linebacker in this draft. I think he has the potential to be that good. So it's, it's one of those that's going to be a really interesting one to see how his career develops because his ceiling is super, super high. One really interesting thing to note, just to finish off, is that he won 2018 Wisconsin small school offensive and defensive Player of the year because he would play as a running back on offense as well and was super effective there so you never know he could be a goal line back as well or something um it would be a, an interesting little way for him to be utilized even more than he would be on defense um have you guys seen anything from him he's obviously been a, a late riser i saw that in october he was kind of just about in the top 10 in linebacker lists. And now he's he's kind of firmly in that first, late first round, early second round conversation. What what have you seen from Chanel?
2: So Wisconsin is Blitzburg. This is where they blitz their linebackers heavily. And I mean heavily. That is what the linebackers are designed to do there. You get a lot of nasty mofos on that defensive line, get the holes in, and then send your power linebackers through. It's how they work. And, you know, that's why the coverage aspect of this game is not there because this is a very heavy scheme defence. It's not designed for the linebackers to be in coverage that much. The corners, the safeties, they come up, they help out in coverage whilst the linebackers go blitz the quarterbacks. So there's no surprise that he's really good. Him and Sanborn are both really good at rushing the passer, getting into the running lanes, taking down running backs because that's exactly what they're designed to do. They are big beefy guys with a lot of speed behind them who will hit the hole and cause all sorts of disruption in the backfield. Now, the question you've got to ask yourself is can I also bring on the coverage skills? The coverage skills may already be there. Yes, he has issues with them. And as I say, that's a product of the scheme that he's in. You know, they say simply not asked to do that and he needs more meaningful reps working in coverage, working against the best there, seeing what you've got with him. But I mean, to start off with, if you're gonna if you are gonna draft him, you're immediately gonna get a guy who you're gonna bring down on every single running down you've got. Especially with the guys we have, with Aleem, with Brockers. are there, you'll be able to create running lanes for them. It's what we needed to do with Barnes this year. And to be honest, there might be some parallels with Barnes there because Barnes also comes from a system where he was allowed to blitz a lot and not necessarily working coverage as much. And we've seen the issues this year at linebacker. We, we didn't blitz the linebackers because we didn't really have the cover and the protection to do so. But that's where he's at most effective. So I, I kind of figure maybe we aren't going to draft him because we already have the guy in there who does that. But, you know, if you do get him and if you do start to blitz your linebackers a bit more, then hell, there's going to be no better pair to have than them two because they both come from systems where they excel at that. So, you know, it's an intriguing prospect. I think you have to wait. You have to sit and wait. I don't think it's, you know, you want to be spending a high pick there, but if you get the value low enough down in the draft to be able to bring him in, use him as a couple down backer and get that pass coverage there into him, then, you know, go for it. That's what you want to do. But I I'm just a bit iffy about having another Derek Barnes on the team because they are very similar in the build, the way they play, how they do things, and coming from such a very tight scheme system that he comes from, you know, the versatility is not there. But in terms of player, him and Sanborn, one of the best linebacking pairs in college football. That Wisconsin defense is stingy as anything not many people get points past them, and they are a big reason for that because teams in college can't run on them. When you can't run on them, it's so bloody hard to pass the ball when you've got them two running at you on third and long. It's a perfect system, really, the way it does it for what they are.
1: He's so violent and physical. I didn't know that about him playing running back, but you kind of see it just the way he plays. Um, so he's very fun to watch. I don't want to labour the coverage thing, too, but similar concerns. Um. I don't really want him where he's probably going to go for the Lions. Um, I think you've summed it up nicely there as well. Um, At the same time, can't you just see him going to the Ravens, the Steelers, the Patriots, or heaven forbid, the Packers, and just being an absolute monster um, in one of these kind of old school systems? So, yeah, I mean... He's not a guy I hugely like because I don't think he fits the modern day NFL. But at the same time, that's a little bit of a cliche because he has the athleticism that means he could easily get past that. Um, so I think if he lands in the right situation, he could be a he could be an absolute star. Um, I'm just personally not that high on him for the Lions for the reasons you guys mentioned.
2: I think if you were to like get in fourth round something like that, late fourth round, whatever, and then you stuck him in a system where they can you know, rotate the linebackers around. You've got the luxury of having a running down backer to be able to send in there and cause havoc. That's a perfect situation for him to start with. I think those are the teams, as Tom says, who might be looking for that, you know. Ravens, they have the guys in there. You just send him in against the run and just ask him to do what he does best while he develops. But that certainly is not us. We have our guy who we're developing doing that. We can't afford two of them.
1: And if you have if you're confident in the cover guys you can put around him, i.e., a kind of traditional coverage backer, um, a linebacker safety hybrid that you can then play on the other side, or a strong safety you're comfortable just manning up and rolling down, then I think you're going to feel a lot more comfortable about it. He's just not the kind of guy I'd really want to flex out and ask him to do lots of things in coverage right now. Could change, but yeah, not right now.
0: The thing is, I think that Chanel Chanel Kiafnu correct myself, Chanel and Anzalone complement each other quite nicely. And the thing about the comp with Barnes, or not comp but what you said about Barnes before, I, I get it. But Chanel is 30 pounds heavier or so. Like, there's a big difference in body type. And so even though Barnes is very adept at run defense, and I know you've said that before, but it looks so much more natural for Chanel. Like, it looks like that's what he was born to do. You said (laughs) Patriots. Sorry. Um, Chanel is absolutely a Patriots guy. And I think that will turn off a lot of people now I've said that. But I can imagine him being an all-pro year one if Belichick takes it. I hate that so much, even saying it. But I think Belichick could turn him into a
2: superstar year one. That's the hottest take we've heard tonight. Even more so than Tom's key walker one.
1: I mean, for those who didn't hear, Google did not agree with you. Google's words (laughs) exactly were, I'm sorry, (laughs) I don't understand. So, I mean, Google is not a fan of Leo Samao, clearly.
2: Either that or he said, Trey Flowers highlights under his breath. (laughs) Sorry, do not understand. (laughs) I'm sorry,
0: Dave. Um, Anyway, uh, Ash has said that it looks like Zadarius Smith has signed for the Vikings. I haven't seen that be confirmed. but
2: He's put meat at the quarterback on his Twitter, and that's their motto. And I'm just about to put something that says meat at the quarter and then showing getting shoved down by Penn Ice. So I'm coming up with something like that now. So There we go. There
0: was a question I wanted to get to from Steve earlier. He, what did he say? So, for both of you, who said, let's predict that Christian Watson is around at 34 and we take him. What two defensive players would you like to have taken at 2 and 32 to complement a wide receiver at 34?
2: Watson and. Then, oh, no, I was going to say Briscoe, that's double dip. Ah, just do it. Oh. Uh... No, you've got to take an edge top two. Hamilton and Maffey. And that was.
1: And um, for me, so Briscoe would absolutely be in play if we don't go Hamilton at two, right? So um, Briscoe is that other late one, early two. Um, And then I think Aidan Hutchinson going to be there at number two. So uh, we'll, we'll go there.
0: And actually, the other question that he had was, do you prefer Hamilton at two and Maffey at 32? or Hutchinson and two a Brisker at 32? Which is quite funny that you mentioned R- Writing
1: the script for us, yeah.
0: Yeah, I know. Which of those two do you prefer? I
2: answered that question a long time ago. I know. Hey, but hey, who, just for do, his who benefit, because who... he's been away for a while. Well, I, I, I take Hamilton, then Edge, simply because the drop-off, Brisker ain't going to be there. And Brisker is Hamilton light. After that, drop is huge. For me, anyhow. So I think you get better cumulative value by going Hamilton first, edge second. That's just my opinion. Though. If, you,
1: if, it is those, if we can manipulate the draft board, meaning that you are literally offering me those two exact players, I think I would take Hutchinson and Brisker over Hamilton and Mafe, because I'm probably not higher high on, on Mafe as some, but um, yeah, I, yeah, I would go that way. I'd go Hutchinson,
2: Brisker.
0: I, I'm with you, Tom. Actually, I think I would go that way, but I don't think Brisker's available at 32. So I think the scenario is slightly flawed.
2: That that's why I went Hamilton first. I think I, I could deal. I I could I could live with Brisker if we don't get Hamilton. I just don't think Brisker falls. You know the system he comes from, known for creating NFL level defenders. He does everything Hamilton does nearly. You know, and someone's gonna have him quickly. And, and then They're that's cool.
1: yeah.
2: But They're Watson cool. would be cool. Imagine Watson and Chalk on the outside, Amon Raw, Hawkinson, you know, Reynolds in the middle. I would be quite excited about that. I don't know. 34 such a. w I don't know what players I want these two because there's, there's literally probably twenty players I could take at those two positions. Happily, I think.
0: It's a really rich draft. It, it's it's so nice. So We've got... um. Hang on, hang
2: on. I've just noticed here, Tom has been for weeks now claiming that Trayvon Walker's going to go to, and I didn't hear mention of him during that little exchange just then. What (laughs) happened?
1: Hutchinson was there, (laughs) in my example. So, uh, hey, I didn't say I wanted to take Trayvon Walker to. I just said, I think there's a chance the Lions do. So,
0: so we've got a, a Seahawks fan called Daddy Dennis who's been watching along on YouTube, which is really nice of end and thank you, man, for doing that. I appreciate you, as well as a new viewer, potentially, I've not seen him in the chat before, Waldorf Lion, who says you guys are really thorough. Thank you for doing it, and thank you for watching. Um, Daddy Dennis has just said that uh, Neil should definitely go number one overall to the Jags, agree, or at least an offensive tackle should go to the Jags. Um, he said, if they don't take Neil, then you should. Which no. which I I I severely dislike. He said Neil's a generational talent. And I don't disagree, but I'm I, I don't want to get rid of anyone on our line and you can't kick him into guard. So I don't see a place for him here. I'd rather trade down.
2: I might be biased towards NC State because of a lean but I like Icky more because I think Icky gives you versatility on the line at guard and at tackle, not right guard as some Lions fans would have us believe that stupid mock earlier in the week where we had Icky at two kicking Vitae out, or sorry, kicking Jonah out at left guard. It's like, what the hell? Jonah's played really well apart from the first few games last year for a third round rookie. He's done immensely well. And then the kicker was pretty Brees Hall at 34. Running back, are you kidding me? If we take a running back at 34 and Icky at two, then you know I'm I'm swimming over to Detroit to get lodge my complaints. There's there will be risk nothing my life going more, over there.
0: There's nothing more lions than going running back in round two. There just isn't.
2: So I think, I think just just from a point of view, Taylor Decker is young. I don't care what people say. He's got a lot of years left on this team. Costanzo played till he was 34 at the Colts to an incredibly high level. Decker's only 29. He's got another contract lift in him yet. Sewell has done perfectly well at right tackle. We don't need to invest a first rounder in a tackle position. There are a lot of good tackle prospects in the draft this year, right on our doorstep. I might add central Michigan has two. Um, we can get, we can get a swing tackle in hell. We don't know if Crosby is fit yet, but in terms of needs, we need an impact player. Who's going to improve what we have right now. And we've got two very young tackles. Well, to relatively young tackles. We don't need to replace them. We just need a bit of depth for them. So respectfully, I disagree a lot that we need a tackle there. Um, I I don't know about the Jags. They may, they may not. But at the minute, their O-line's better than the pass rush. So who knows? It's better for us if they take one, because then I think people panic and trade up for Icky. And then I think we get more draft picks. But then we probably take Hutch and, you know, I don't want that so, bias and all. I don't know, I
0: think I, I can't decide what move <laughs> at one creates more trade value at two, because I've heard it both ways and I follow the logic and it really annoys me, because I want one of the options to be better than the other, but if Hutch goes I can see people panicking about edge and wanting to trade up for edge and, you know, People up and down on cave-on. But there are some people that still have cave-on on their board. And edge-rusher is required. You know, it's a needed pick. So that could provide value. But if Neil goes one, there's only three top-end offensive tackles, I think. And so one goes, you know, it's going to create a bit of panic. So which one? Which there's one, is there be-
2: one? There's a gap between key and Cross, in my opinion. Big See, so there's to only
0: two, two elite.
2: No, after Neil, mm. there's obviously Neil, this Icky, then this Cross. Yeah, I think there's a big enough gap to warrant a trade up there. I mean, the Seahawks fan? Does he want to give us loads of picks for number two and Malik Willis? Then we can take Devin Lloyd. I, I would absolutely love that. Load up on some picks. Take the best linebacker in class. Not have to worry about reaching for QB. Please.
0: He's replied to previous comments saying Sewell and Neil that is called bookmark tackles for years. I would argue that Decker and Sewell are uh, Decker and Saul could play for the next ten years as Lions tackles. They could.
2: I don't think Neil could play at right tackle, which is where he would be because we would shift Penai over immediately. I I don't think Neil has the versatility to play both. Personally, I think he's a left tackle. He's a bloody good left tackle and he's going to be a franchise left tackle for someone, but don't see the versatility there. And I want Penne as my left tackle when Decker goes. And I mean, Decker last year, he had, what was it? An 84 pass protection rating, PFF. He only gave up two sacks in nine games despite being injured, coming back at half speed. Did well in the run game. The run game flourished. He's not had a bad year. I don't think he's... I don't think there are any signs at the minute which are screaming out to me, hang on, we need to look at replacing him now. If anything, it's, we've got our five, let's run with them.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, he, he came back and said he thinks Neil can play at guard as well. Um, I don't want to take a guard at two, which is the same argument for not taking Icky at two and pushing him into left guard. It just doesn't make any sense. You, you've got one of the best of all time guards who's taken at six in the last five years. And that that should be as high as you ever take a guard.
2: I think our offensive line is very good when healthy. It didn't get to play together last year, which is why, you know, people outside of the lines may not be like, oh, hang on, there's an issue there. But, you know, when our top five play together, they are formidable. You know, Jackson, when playing between Ragnow and Decker was formidable. That's why he struggled at the start of this year because there was no Decker. And then there was no Ragnow but he learned to develop without them. And when he's going to have them both back now, you know, Vitae and Sewell with that, you know, Pacific Islanders smash all mentality on the right. We've run so much through them because they just wreck people. We don't need to spend a number two pick on an offensive lineman. We've got three first round picks in that line already. You know, we've invested a lot in it. We've done well with the guards. We now need to spread spread the love out throughout the rest of the team.
0: Yeah, Yeah, we do. Right, we've been going a long time. If anyone does have any questions while I'm wrapping up, then maybe we can address them. Have, you guys have anything to add before we sign off? No. Just looking
2: oh. forward to the draft.
0: It's coming up very, very quickly. We only have two more positional breakdowns to do now, boys, before the draft, because we've got wide receivers next week, March 28th. Then we've got the quarterback breakdown a week after that in early April. We then have our first full seven-round full, though no, Lions seven-round mock draft, and the week following that we have a thirty-two-team first-round draft, first-round mock draft, and then we have the draft. That's it. And we are five weeks away, or something, five and a half weeks away.
2: So, oh my God, <laughs> it's it's come up so quickly. The record for that first round mock draft is four, by the way. I think I beat Matt 4-3 last year. So, Tom, you know, it's there for you if you want to give it a go. I think this year is going to be a nightmare. I think four, guessing four correctly, would be a bloody good result this year.
1: Absolutely. I think that could be bagels in play. I've I've
2: got Najee Harris to thank for last year. (laughs) Bloody
0: Harris. Right. Um, Just want to thank everyone for watching along live or if you've been listening to us on the orders, much, much appreciate you. Our numbers keep going up all the time. Last fortnight was our second best ever and it continues to do really well. Also, the um, amount of UK people has actually bumped up recently, so that's really encouraging too as more of us on this side of the pond discover the game and the intrigue in the draft continues over here. Don't forget to follow us on our socials. You've got Ant, Ant, talking to you guys about the pro days and who's about every day. So if you want to get some information on that, follow us on Twitter, ROTL underscore UK. Otherwise, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, and Instagram, Royal the Lions UK or some variant of ROTL UK. Facebook group for worldwide fans is Detroit Lions fans, UK1 Pride Worldwide. We've got articles coming out on our website, RoyaloftheLionsUK.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Rate us five stars if you can. Like the video as well. That would be a really big help to us. Don't have any further questions, so just remains for me to thank uh, Ryan McCloskey, who left us a bit earlier in the program. To Ant, to Tom, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week for the Wide Receiver Breakdown. And don't forget the Cottage Football Podcast on Wednesday, breaking down the pro days. But for now, let's go Lions, one pride.
2: Jordan Travis sucks. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.